0: Heavy Cardboard, episode 33, Masters of Venice. Coming to you from Denver, Colorado, on International Podcast Day. Woo. Welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium-heavy strategy board games, war games, 18xx, and other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your
1: host, I'm Edward. This is Tony. So, Edward, tell everybody how to contact Heavy Cardboard, please. Well, you can pretty much find us on the web by searching
0: heavy cardboard that that sums it up instead of going piece by piece uh, our bgg guild number is 2044 Uh, we'd love to have you over there
1: Uh, so come check us out over on uh, the board game geek guild one other thing to check out of course is gamesurplus.com our fabulous sponsor they have a lot of imported games hard to find games and uh they can find anything you're looking for so reach out to velma You can reach them at games at gamesurplus.com. Visit their site, www.gamesurplus.com. And speaking of Game Surplus, Edward, what's our giveaway?
0: Yeah, we we keep threatening to give something away, and we keep forgetting, to be honest. So we decided, okay, hey, with Essen right around the corner, let's do it real simple. Email us at contest at heavycardboard.com, and all you have to do is tell us the three games that you're most excited about and why. Don't just give us three words, you know, the names. Give us a little oomph, and we'll pick one at random. Uh, Probably next episode. Yeah, we'll we'll pick it next episode. That's fine. And the winner will get a $40 gift card or a gift certificate for Game Surplus that you can use on, hopefully, one of those games. You betcha. So, again... Contest at HeavyCardboard.com. Top three games and give us some reasons why. International Podcast Day, huh? Yeah, man. That's a That's a thing I just learned about. Um, seems apropos to be recording today, as it turns out, I guess. Huh? It does. Good but, thing
1: you were sick. Yeah, right, no, seriously. Not.
0: So, no, the, this episode's a bit of an odd duck. I mean, we're recording this on Wednesday, yeah. putting it out tomorrow. Uh, normally, we record on, on a Monday. The games we're reviewing all have a bit of an odd duck feel to them or quirky, you know, so yeah,
1: just kind of two Martin Wallace's in here, so that equals quirky sure um
0: so yeah, just a bit of a strange feel to this episode to get started. I'm curious if the listeners feel that it comes across as weird, hopefully not hmm. No so weirder you, than normal, maybe. Yeah, right? No doubt. <laughs> so if I sound off or I'm coughing or whatever, I apologize because I'm still I'm still getting over being sick. It's that time of year, tis the season, if you will. Um, so we got an invitation to the Saskatoon uh, board gaming convention, yep. which I think is cool. To invite only. They send somebody over, buy every Essen game, and bring it back, and you can play them. Yeah, and it's cool. always around Halloween. And unfortunately, too little notice for us to make it this year. But that was cool that you know somebody invited us. So yay! That's no, very smell. cool. Um, speaking of conventions, Heavy Con, uh, we were we are considering making it all inclusive with food and everything. But yep. holy cow, is that stuff expensive?
1: It is. It is. But it would be very much worth it.
0: I think so. You know, I'm sure there are those summer- four
1: days of brain melting.
0: Yeah, and just sitting there, not having to leave. No splendor. Yeah, well, not much, anyway.
1: The splendor is in the gaming.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, the uh, Secret Santa, the Heavy Cardboard Secret Santa, or as it's being called, the Heavy Cardboard Secret Elephant, uh, the sign-ups are currently going on over in the guild that I mentioned earlier, 2044 on BGG. Yep. If it's something that appeals to you, go have fun with it. And Obviously, you and I are both both in on it.
1: Check Check the rules, because, I mean heavy games aren't aren't, al- cheap. aren't always cheap and right. we are opening it to international but you don't have to participate in the international things so but, just just check the rules out
0: but everybody has you know lgss if not flgss That's in correct. their country That's correct. so you can usually contact them email them and, and mm-hmm. be able to purchase it and save on shipping that way you bet uh, the only other kind of oddball thing that i have since we're going with the whole quirky odd duck thing is I, I saw that Edward Snowden joined uh, Twitter this week, and he's following one account and one account only.
1: One account? Yeah. <laughs> Any guesses? FBI?
0: Close. NSA. Okay. okay there really you go. Really damn funny. <laughs> yeah, it is. It
1: just, yeah, oh, regardless
0: of what people think about him, I just found that funny. Yeah. yeah. That one thing. That's so, cool.
1: So, what do you got? Uh, well, just one thing. I thought I, Dave Eisen, uh-huh. um, one of our guild members. And- oh,
0: I, I was thinking the, the the guy, the head of Disney. No, not him. No, no. Okay. Eisner. Gotcha. Oh, okay. okay. All right,
1: gotcha. I was like, maybe Dave is the CEO of Disney. I don't know. Um, he's been running a geek list with ratings of all the games that we've been reviewing and everything. And I think it's just really cool that. He to... finally
0: got around to updating that. Yeah, yeah, I know. I
1: just think it's really cool that uh, seeing other people's opinions and stuff like that is, is very, very cool. And I'm, I'm really interested in um, his and everyone's opinion in the games we talk about tonight, too. Yeah,
0: I, I well, especially kind of a uh, divisive. I
1: think well if um, this is an Odd Duck episode the, the main game we're going to talk about is definitely an Odd Duck. Right.
0: And yeah. so uh no that is cool that Dave's doing that <clears throat> yeah. and I'm I'm glad somebody took it upon themselves so I didn't have to go and research
1: what we rated
0: all the games
1: to be honest. <laughs> when he's putting his one to six. No no there no too. I it's, know. Yeah that's it's really, really I think cool. that's cool. Yeah. Good job, Dave.
0: So if other people listening are interested go check that out. We can always link to it in the uh, in the show hey. notes. So let's get it started. What let's have do it. you acquired in the last couple of weeks, sir?
1: I have acquired
0: uh, five little things.
1: Five. Five little things. My uh, my my own copy of Tinner's Trail. I've enjoyed it so much. Right. Uh, Steel Driver, because uh, Chad, Paul Chad, said it was uh, something. There was something to that game, and I know you guys played it recently. So we'll talk about that soon. Yep. I got a copy of The King is Dead, which is the reprint of Uh, King of Siam. King of Siam, exactly. The little little, tiny short area control game. Played it with the wife. She liked it. Rock on. Uh, Medici. You know, like Medici and Ra, I gave them away back in the day when the iPad versions came out and everything. And now I'm like, what the hell did I do that for? So, you know, I've been acquiring (laughs) them back. So I got uh, the first edition Medici in pristine condition from a, a user on The Geek. So that was very, very cool. All right. And then I, I did a print and play. I did a print and play of Open Rails Origins. I've never and, heard of that. And what so is I, it? This is the, when you were sick. Okay. On, on Sunday, I was playing with this. I played the solo version. Oh, that's the I one you... I tweeted you a picture. Okay, or I got gotcha. tweeted, but yeah. texted you a picture right. of it. So it is an Age of Steam 18LL, 18AL eighteen hybrid, and it's got cubes, not tiles. You par value stocks, their shares, presidency, city upgrades train types auctions the whole thing it's only a 1 to 3 player game and um the 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 designer credits Tresham Wallace Bohr Derek and um Galt so i, I played so the solo
0: so 18xx uh it's who's who? it's
1: all <laughs> kinds of stuff yeah it's um there's it's, there's an interesting abstracted train mechanic uh train rush and obsolescence that was kind of neat and um, the number of cubes in your corporation, which are stations and tracks and everything, depends on what your par price was. It's got some really oh, neat that's stuff, cool. All right. and it doesn't play long. It's it's like you know twenty five minutes a player. Oh, and so um, actually, I, I'm, I'm, I took some time and I made a four player Colorado map.
0: I was going to ask how many does it play. You said you it, played, played it solo. It,
1: it plays one to three, and then my Colorado map would play up to four. Because cool. it's a, just a tad bit bigger and there's a couple more corporations. All historical Colorado rail corporations, of course. I love that. That's fantastic. And four private companies. And private companies are something that's not in Open Rails Origins. So, anyway. <laughs> those are the things I've acquired. All right, How cool. about you, Matt? Well, uh, the oh, first one um,
0: is here. It's uh, the Tree Frog
1: version of Automobile. Sweetness. Uh, While you talk, can I open this? Sure, go for it. Awesome.
0: I... Uh, a couple of listeners actually um, had it uh, for Steve, Stephen Canning, one of the guys from uh, from HeavyCon. He was selling it, and so I, I was able to, to get a copy. So I'm, I'm excited about that because I was willing to get rid of my Mayfair yes. edition in our auction because I knew I was going to be getting this. The only bummer, and this was a total oversight on my part. What? Is it doesn't have the wooden money. It only has paper money. No, I think so that was okay. only in the deluxe Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, look at this. That's it's got the...
1: So nice wooden like um, cubes for uh, the for the demand. Yeah, right. Yeah, so that's cool. So I'm, that is very nice looking I'm,
0: to go with the and with the, board, the tree frog and nice war board. frog collection. So yeah, I'm excited about that. And maybe it'll be an impetus to get it back to the table since we really enjoy the game. Exactly. The only other thing is uh, a brand new game from Tasty Minstrel called Steamworks. Yeah, looks now, interesting. Yeah, it. I was worried that it might be a little too light. It's a worker placement, but the cool thing about this is you construct your own kind of worker placement spaces and abilities. Um, And they're machines. Yeah, and it's just it's just a cool take on a worker placement. And from what I've uh, and we like worker placement. From what I've been told, it's it's Concordia weight maybe yeah saw that um so that'll be uh that'll be good yeah Yeah. Uh, i'm excited to at least try it check it out i'm sure we'll have a trailer for
1: it soon so keep going what are you hunting anticipating etc
0: well essen is uh i guess next week week after something like that um so the games will flow soon Well, yeah
1: Uh, i've already prepared the wife
0: good Uh, mine just knows. (laughs) Uh, Our copies of Food Chain Magnet should arrive by the weekend. So it should be this week. According to Yoris, he sent me an email today. Um, So I'm hoping we can get that played this Saturday. The price of
1: that express shipment that he mentioned was (laughs) 260 euros to cut like five days off. Yeah, that was
0: nuts. Um, So hopefully, hopefully by this weekend, worst case next weekend, so start off with what you've been playing. Sir. Well, wait a
1: minute. There, I'm hunting and anticipating. Oh, I, 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 just assumed it was Essen no, games, no, and that was it. No, my, well, my well, bad. Well, so there are Essen games, but there are two that, um, two things that I bought that are not threshold yet. They're not here yet. So I'm anticipating their arrival.
0: I love that you've acquired, that. That <laughs> Boy, you've adapted that. You, you've, you've made me think that, that way,
1: right? Uh, I ordered 1849 from All Aboard Games. And uh, I got uh, American Rails from uh, uh, Joel Eddy in an auction on BGG. Oh, sweet. So, yeah. so looking forward to those two things coming. So playing. Obviously, we've been playing Masters of Venice and Tinner's Trail a bit. And Liberté. And Liberté. Um, the, the things I've played uh, other than that are uh, Scoville, The King is Dead. Yes, Splendor.
0: <laughs> hey. The kids were over, and you
1: played that. No, no, yeah. I was with the wife. So I said, okay, but it's got to be Strip Splendor. Oh no,
0: okay. I, no, uh,
1: right. no! Why not? Uh, yeah, I'll <laughs> have to bring that up. Trajan, Lahav, uh, the open rails, and uh, a partial game of Uruk Two with your bride. <laughs>
0: yeah, that, that it's one of those games to where when it's at the end of the day, you don't need to try and relearn it because it's just not. It, it's really not a hard game. But no, it, No. Yeah,
1: I put it on the auction shelf. After that, I'm gonna take it off. Just be, but you're that's exactly right. It's like end of the day. Or I'm like, uh, I need to try it again. Yeah, right. So <laughs> we have played it before. We like it. Yes. Yeah, we do. Um, so well, to, uh, obviously
0: the ones in this in this episode, but also uh, Arboretum, a ton, Steel Driver. Which Steel Driver? Yeah, just real me. quick.
1: Tell me. I want to know.
0: It's Martin Wallace's Winsome. Feel game. Yeah. It, that, I mean, that I, I know no better way to describe it. That's what it than, looked like. And that's what it felt like. Uh, the ending with set collection was a little weird.
1: Um, a Martin Wallace game that has a weird ending? Yeah, right. No doubt. Um, what? But, but anxious to try it again. Yeah. I, I'm anxious to try it. I was playing Trajan when you guys were playing that, and I was looking over there longingly saying... I mean, I love Trajan. <laughs> I was going to say, Trajan's really? one of your well, favorites. I've played it a hundred right? times. I'm ra- you know. Sure. ADD
0: boy. Uh, the Grizzled, SNCF, Saturn, The Princess of Machu Picchu played a couple of times. And uh, Ready to put that on the auction show? Actually, it already sold in the virtual flea market. Okay. <laughs> um, and the last one, and I wanted to take a moment to, to at least mention, was After the Flood. So this
1: is one of the Martin Wallace Grail games that I got. You guys were playing this while me, Tone, and Paul Chad were playing LaHoff.
0: Right. And And we were having fun. I got to say that I pray that we were playing something wrong because
1: Mm. that game was extraordinarily boring. So while we were playing LaHoff, Paul Chad leans over and whispers... I just heard Amanda say, this is exceedingly boring. <laughs> so it really was. We it were was. like, oh no.
0: We we actually only played two-fifths of the game because mm. we were like, I can't imagine doing three more rounds of this. Huh. Um, so I'm going to actually go back, watch a video, uh, maybe read up on some reviews and see if I just completely butchered something when I taught it, which I hope. Sure. Otherwise, you know. Number four of a thousand might or of fifteen hundred might be out there uh, yeah. for sale soon. So, yeah, that was a bummer. I got I yeah, got to say yeah, that is. was that was one where expectations expectations were extremely high mm-hmm. and just wow, that was
1: bad. Well, um, that subject of games that uh, whose expectations were not fulfilled by their play, will I will ask you about that. At the end of our podcast, oh, okay, in a, in a closing segment. So I'm really glad to hear you broach that subject. Although I, I hate that it was a Martin Wallace game that it was the topic of that,
0: and, and it wasn't cheap. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, but it'll retain its no, now, But yeah, still, that was a bummer. Right on. Let's kick off our trailers with the first of two Martin Wallace games. Our, our, our quirky trailers. Yes. First a,
1: one up. A, an extended trailer in this case. Tinner's Trail. Tinner's Trail, the 2008 release from Martin Wallace and Tree Frog Games, is a two- to four-player game that takes about 20 to 25 minutes per player. And I'd been doing some reading about the game on The Geek and stuff, and noticed you had a copy, and I was like, dude, let me take that home and let's figure out how to play it. Then we played it a couple of times, and we both... Um, liked what we saw and decided we wanted to talk about it in, a, in our show. So, what is happening in Tinner's Trail is this. Tinner's Trail is set in the 19th century in Cornwall, England, and over the course of four rounds, the players are going to be mining for copper and tin and attempting to sell said copper and tin when the prices are high. To reduce the cost of mining, you can place developments such as ports. They have this thing called an adit, which is really nothing more than a a countermine that's for draining water out of a mine. Um, and of course, trains to haul in coal and haul out water. It is Martin Wallace. It after is Martin all. Wallace. And uh, once you've made your money in, a, in, a, in a, one of the four rounds in the game, you're going to invest money in external investments, i.e., industries outside of Cornwall, to gain victory points. And that is the way to spend or to earn victory points. You're going to do all these other crazy things and earn money and then spend the money on victory points. The earlier you invest, in external investments the better the return on your investment will be so as the four rounds go on the amount of money you spend on your external investments will earn you less victory points right so the map is going to start seeded with some tin and copper and water cubes lots
0: and lots of water lots
1: of water and special dice are rolled to determine how many are going to start in each of the areas During the turn, you're going to have 10 time points to spend on actions, and each action is going to cost 1 to 3 time. And whoever is furthest back in the amount of time spent is whose turn it is. So that's a common mechanic that we've seen in a couple other games, like, uh, Kraftwagen and, and, uh... Oh my gosh, which which is the uh Glenmore. Glenmore. thank you. And
0: also apparently it's in the game Thebes. I'm not familiar okay. with it, but yeah. in my research I, I so read that if
1: you're miserly with your time, you're gonna have a couple more turns than you know, before other players go. So during the during the turn, the most important action is building a mine. And uh, however you can only suggest an area on the board where a mine will be built, and then that area will be put up for auction. So any of the players can actually buy the mine, even though it was my turn and I suggested this area to be bid upon. And it's going to cost two time. But here's what's kind of neat about it is, the person that wins the auction is the one who spent the two time. So there's, a, there's some games that can be played with that. The cost to mine ore is always going to be one pound per water cube in the mine. So if I want to take out these two copper cubes and there's three water cubes in my mine, each of those copper cubes will cost me three pounds. So six pounds I had to spend to do that mining. And then after mining, we're probably opening up new tunnels and passages and sadly discovering more underground water. So you have to add another water cube to your mine. So next time I go to mine there, there are going to be four water cubes in there, unless I spend time on other actions to reduce that water, to drop that water level. Extremely thematic. Very much so. You can do things to help your mining efficiency, too, like hiring miners and uh, trains and ships and things like that to haul more ore out of your mines. That's always a helpful thing to do. So if I'm going to spend money, I might as well get as many cubes out of there as I can, right? And uh, if you're short on money, you can also sell pasties. Are they pasties or pasties? Mm, We'll have to ask our British friends. Okay, yeah, I'm sure we'll get corrected. Please correct us. All right, Paul and company. Yes, and company. So what's uh, what's interesting is the price of tin and copper is set randomly at the beginning of each turn, and it can vary a lot. And you really want to sell obviously when the prices are high. Um, However, you can't hold back any ore. So if I mine some tin and it's only worth two bucks a cube, and I earn two bucks, or I earn two bucks a cube, I meant to say copper because tin's never only as cheap as two. But if I mine copper for two bucks, oh, that's all I get. And copper has a, a very wide swing, from 2 to 10 pounds. But the, the tin is much more stable, from 4 to 7 pounds. And that is historically accurate, according to the write-up in the, in the rules. Uh, that's pretty much the game. It's all about uh, mining cubes, buying mines, mining the cubes out, mitigating your water, and making tons of money, and investing that money for victory points. So... Uh, This is one I I want to talk a little bit about. We don't usually do this in trailers, but this is an extended trailer. A little bit about the rules and graphic design, uh, because we had had some questions in the guild about the difference between the Tree Frog and the... JLKM, version. And uh, so you have the Tree Frog, I have the JL. And, uh, I mean, the wooden bits are the same in these these games, and they're freaking fantastic.
0: They are. Uh, Personally, I think it's beautiful production it aesthetically it looks great on the table it and does. and don't laugh but it photographs really damn yeah. well and it attracts people going by that they, they want to come over and yeah. take a look like wow what is that it's just really eye-catching well the um, cubes
1: are all Denver Bronco colors orange white and blue so it's <laughs> awesome
0: um, I gotta say though uh, it, when you got your copy, yeah, the uh, JL and KM version or JK and LM, whatever that, that one, the other, the reprint, right? We compared it to my Tree Frog, right? And I gotta be honest, and I'm not saying this because I'm a Tree Frog, sure you are, you know, huge fan. I just really like muted colors, yeah, and, and the the graphic design and just the artwork. I like the Tree Frog version better. However, the ten the uh, the reprint version. Takes care of the one major. How did they do that
1: oh, I know issue what's
0: in the tree frog, which is there are water cubes in the game. Water is wait for it blue. Right. Well, there's also a blue player in the game, and they use cubes and yeah. keeping track of what is what. It's just really blue with blue with blue. And this one, that one has purple yeah. instead of the blue, which makes total sense. Purple's awesome anyway. Right. Um. So
1: outside of that, well, I well, the just... board, the board on the in the tree frog, um, the board has charts on it, and all the charts are facing different directions. Well, it's it's Martin Wallace's
0: fifty <laughs> percent. Right. Ha- you know, when you, the the side you're looking across, you can read.
1: At... You can read a quarter of the board. I can right. read a yeah, quarter yeah, yeah, of the board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I, the Tinner's Trail Map, I think is my opinion. The Tinner's Trail Map in the J L K M version, the reprint, right. is. Here's what I think. It is graphically inferior because the Tree Frog one is prettier. Okay, This is a little garish. But I think it's functionally superior because the charts aren't all facing weird directions and the money track is one, not this weird two-level thing.
0: But But we play with poker chips. Exactly. I was going to say the money track. It might have been overthinking things too much. or By Martin. or, Or just trying to try something different or being cheap so we didn't have to get money. I'm not sure what it was. But either way, we didn't bother mm-hmm. playing with it. We just
1: played with poker chips and said to hell with it. I'm interested in uh, what you think the weight of Tenner's Trail is.
0: Um, I think it would be a solid. I think medium. It, it'd be like, kind of like how Lahav is mm-hmm. an entry level into heavier sure. games. I would say Tenner's Trail could also be in that, but not into heavier games but more into medium medium heavy yeah because the mechanics very simple very simple but the depth of play and being able yeah. to grasp everything in that with all those aha moments i feel like there's there's some legit depth there
1: yeah i wrote the heavier end of medium and the thing that tips it towards that rather than just a plain medium is um is the auctions and how you can use them to manipulate players <laughs> and, and things uh, there is some uh, there's some good stuff there. So what do you think about complexity and planning? We just kind of talked about complexity a little bit. The rules are cake, right?
0: Yeah, super easy. Like, this is the type of game I'm not really good, and our group does not sit down and bust out a new game and read the rules and play the game. That just doesn't happen with our group. One of us always learns it ahead of time. <clears throat> right. However, Tennis Trail, Steel Driver, that type game, are the type of game that you could sit down Read the rules and, you know, at the table and, okay, let's do this real quick. Indeed. Um, So rules-wise, not hard at all. I think very, very simple, especially for those accustomed, you know, those listening that are accustomed to the games that we play, Mm -hmm.
1: it's cake. Totally fine. On the planning side, I I feel like that's, if you're really kind of only planning one turn because of the volatility in the markets,
0: for the most part, I would agree with you. However, when, okay, like you said, the, the volatility, especially with the copper mines, right, right. right? Because those range 2 to 10. Right. There's, There can be some planning involved in buying uh, mines that are heavy in copper early, even though copper is not worth anything. Oh, sure. You know, planning for the future, and, knowing when to clear the water out, when to mine it, etc.
1: Hoping for the future, really, because... Because the because the prices uh, randomly determined at the beginning of your term, copper may never be worth ten.
0: You're right. However, if you play the EV of it, if you play the the odds, yeah. Because when it's bottomed out, you get that plus, plus one, one odds are it's going to
1: go it up. Least be go worth up, a little more.
0: Yeah, yeah. Possibly, realistically, much more.
1: Um, something I enjoy about the planning in the game is that it typically involves budgeting. I've got X dollars now. How much money do I want to commit to external investments right now? And how much money do I need to carry forward in the next turn for auctions? Even if I don't want to buy something, even if I just want to bid to interfere. Right. Plus, in case you get stuck. Right. And, and, you know, how many cubes am I going to mine? So how much money am I going to have to spend on mining expenses, right?
0: Well, not only that, but you also have to factor in turn order for that. Because if you're going to be earlier in turn order versus, or, or later in turn order, I should say, you then have to worry about what developments are available to you and that, to help offset that Absolutely. water cost. And so there's there's definitely a lot of forethought. I don't know how much planning, I, I would say no more than a round ahead. Sure. Um, so it's tactical in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um but as far as, like, long-term planning, uh, strategic over the whole course of the game, I don't know that there's a lot yeah. in there.
1: And it's a short game, four turns. Right. it goes pretty quick. So. And,
0: I mean, you're talking, realistically, it's an hour to an hour and a half max. Yeah, I,
1: you know, 20, 25 minutes a player. Right, I, and I think that I wouldn't play it. it with two. I did play it with two, and I wouldn't play it with two. Right. Yeah. It's
0: a three or four player yeah. game.
1: So, um, some of the cool things about the game that uh, you and I have enjoyed... Uh, one of the first things I just want to get off the table is the randomness of the market. You know how I feel about random stuff in my heavy economic games, but at this one I feel like um, a couple things. Um, I don't mind it here because it's it's not really a heavy game. Um, it's it's got uh, definite some some depth, but um, the central mechanic of the random price of goods is very thematic, according to and historic, according to Martin's write up in the game. And uh, and I'm good with that, actually. It it just reflects um, what apparently was really happening at the time. And it hits everybody the same, right? Copper's worth four for you. It's worth four for me.
0: For me, as far as the randomness, I have absolutely zero problem with it. And in fact, I like it in this game. I agree. For two reasons. Number one, thematically, it makes sense. And even though... Totally. Even though theme isn't on the forefront of either of our you know particular likes or dislikes as a whole when theme is done right it is only going to enhance a game in my opinion yes and the fact that this is a short game it's an hour to 90 minute game i don't mind the randomness in this um There are those out there that are listening that are going to just flatly refuse to have to, you know, adjust to the changing conditions a la, you know, ZOMG, any kind of random is bad. I mean, for those people, simple variant you could do. You could house rule it. Hey, you can roll all four rounds, you know, and know what's coming. But in my opinion, you know, that's going to remove any meaningful decisions and calculated ev the mm-hmm. game provides by doing that i feel like that that would actually take away from the game i, I that think re- it, that removing of the randomness
1: just doesn't make sense no, it, I, I think it would remove some of the varying character of the game from session to session too.
0: right and and as far as i'm concerned randomness and length of play are directly proportional on how much I'm willing exactly to accept exactly my thoughts.
1: Um one thing that I, I really dug when I was reading the rules is for every action in the game and, and then at the end, uh, as well as the beginning, Mr. Wallace provided a little historical paragraph on why things were like they were. And matter of fact, just to double back on the randomness, he even says in his historical notes that he's not really fond of that randomness in this game, but it really reflects what's going on. And other than making a historical timeline where the players knew what the heck was going on that was the way to handle it so yeah anyway, I, 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 agree. It and I I appreciate all his notes I did that yeah.
0: I, I think that's cool it's almost like designer notes in instead of having its own sub part of the of the rule book he kind of interjects it at the beginning of each you know step yes there that yes. was that was cool so the time mechanic I just think is really smart, and I got to be honest. Yeah. I had like an aha moment here when you were talking when you were going through this, and you were comparing it to Kraftwagen and Glenn Moore. Right. It's identical to that, but it's it's not that shape on the no, board, it's linear, and so yeah. I never put two and two together. And I was like, oh, it's just like that. But I just think it's really really cool. I enjoy um, that mechanic. I do too. To where you can choose, you know, lots of little actions, or use the bigger ones, like the uh, the add it, the add that's it three times, right? So that's three months worth of time, and you know, you're you're sacrificing developments possibly, yeah. or or you know, other actions that you might be doing. That's basically a third of an entire turn. But
1: it's a hell of a good action. It is. <laughs>
0: So, using the actions to hammer away both at players' cash as well as them using time, especially in the late turns. Let me give you an example. Please. Bidding two pounds British sterling for a mine, knowing full well that your opponents can't allow you to win that mine for that little money. However, also knowing that I know that they don't want to waste the two months worth of time, which would then allow me and others to snag up all those juicy developments that are still available... Then again, if they do let yeah. you purchase the mine for that little, you're the one spending the two months of game time building the mine while they either take said developments or possibly <laughs> another juicier mine, put that up for bid, and maybe either you're short of time or you're short of money. money.
1: O- oh my God, the auctions, man.
0: Bottom line, excellent decisions you know, to make uh, with what actions are available to you, both in the at- auctions themselves yeah. as well as the litany of of, of decision or of, of options
1: of different actions that you can take is just Dude. way better than i thought this game would be when you play this game with players that love and understand auctions the valuations the timing the cost of winning the cost of losing the the auctions just like pop out of the game man it is just and you know you and i are big auction fans i just dig the auction so much man so much it's unforgiving
0: Ah, uh, hold on.
1: What, okay, tell, tell me. That whole thing where you earn less victory points as the game progresses. So if I do better in round one than you, you better do a lot better than me in round two I and three. I would say
0: it's unforgiving. I think there are, there, there's no catch-up mechanic. Right. But there is ways to catch
1: up. You can play better. You can play well. You can...
0: Right, and you can outmaneuver players as the game goes on yes. and make up the difference... But you it, being behind the 8-ball, instead of a game like Outpost, for example, where if you fall behind, you're probably SOL. Or an 18-XX. you many hours. If you, don't, <laughs> if you don't change, you know, rusting trains, etc. Right. In this, there are ways to outmaneuver and force players... Into positions they don't want to be, and make them make decisions that they don't want to have to make, and hopefully force them into making mistakes that yeah. you can then capitalize on
1: and make up that difference. Okay, fair. Uh, the last thing I have on the on the cool stuff is uh, the whole mining mechanic with the cost being water, and you add more water. I, I just—it's so simple and so clean and so brilliant. I really that that mechanic is just killer.
0: And I can just imagine it. The guys down in the mine, they're mining, okay, they Eating took pasties. out sure, pasties. Pasties. Right. They're uh they're out there, um they took out some copper or tin or a mix of both and they dug down and all of a sudden they hit more water. Damn so man. more water comes into the mine just like what happens. And I just when when theme is done right, it really does add to the game. And I think it's just just really it's Obviously, you know, hugely abstracted, mm-hmm. but I think it's done exceptionally well in this
1: game. Was there anything that stood out to you on the other side of that coin? Maybe not, not exceptionally, or? Yeah, uh, the main thing, actually, to me, and I'm sure you're going to hit
0: on this pretty good, is the unique scoring system yeah. of buying victory points with the money earned while also having to keep enough on hand for auctions and other uses and following turns. So, they're limited to only two purchases of a given victory point block.
1: Right. Uh, so, so I could spend in the first round 30 bucks to get 36 points. But only two players can do that, is what you're saying.
0: Right. And so it gives the appearance of tough decisions on when to pass each round as earlier passes equate to earlier turn order, and maybe in theory you could block players out of the higher victory point, right. uh, you know, amounts to purchase. But it just doesn't feel like it fits the game. It just feels clunky or quirky or fill in the right word and maybe not even completely fleshed out. Honestly, I'm hoping to ask Martin when we interview him about this specific thing, but I know you have more to say on that too.
1: Yeah. You know, my problem with the scoring is that um, because you can put two in a spot and and the spots are equal Eventually, and what I mean by that, I'm having a hard time describing that. But what I mean by that is, two people can invest thirty dollars to get thirty six points. Okay. In the first turn. Okay. okay. Right. So if I go there and I spend my thirty bucks, and I have thirty six points. Let's say somebody else does it. It's your turn. You I still, can, I have the amount
0: of money to spend there, but I don't have the location right, available. Right, there's already two
1: cubes there. Right. You can, you can, if if turn order worked out this way or if other investments weren't made, you could actually buy the two spots for a $15 each. So you've also spent $30 and you've also earned 30 points. So there was nothing really gained in by or lost by being first third, you know, and, and it, and, and each spot is it, it. There's just no, it's one D right. It's one dimensional on the spots, no spot. Regardless of how much money you spend, is worth more than any other spot. For example, in round one, for every, you will get one point two victory points for every pound you spend, regardless right. of what spot you go.
0: Right. And so there, there's just no, there's no, there's the illusion of blocking. It is an illusion. You're right. But
1: it's really not there. It's there's an illusion of blocking and an illusion of, um, oh, I spent more money than you, so I got a better investment or whatever. Right. So, there there are real decisions
0: to be made there when buying when buying the victory points but it's not of the actual buying of the victory points it's more or less how much do I need to save for the next round and then trying to figure that
1: out yes. based
0: on turn order and all that so there are real decisions to be made regarding
1: buying the victory regarding points regarding how much money to spend
0: right but not what victory points right. to buy if I hope that makes sense yeah
1: I am um, unhappy with that. I developed my own external uh, investment chart where I, I made it a, a more two-dimensional. So, uh, for example, you will the more money you spend, the more victory points you would get per pound. The ratio, right? right? Right. So, in the first round, if you spent $15, you'd get 18 points. Which is 1.2. Which is exactly like the game would be. But if I spent $40... I would get 60 victory points. Which, which is,
0: is a, a one, point and a half
1: per pound, pound British sterling. So I'm incentivizing pay. you to spend more money because you're getting a better deal for that. Right. And then as the game goes on, the deals are still better the more you spend.
0: But they're not as good as they were exactly. in the in previous round. So here's a question for you. Okay. And, and I Obviously, you know, I, I am a huge Martin Wallace fanboy to a point. However, I, and I, I don't want this to come across as, you know, I'm just going to say it. Do it. I wonder how much thought and how much playtesting and how much real fleshing out of that really went into it. And the fact that it's just so linear mm-hmm. and it's, it's just straight across the yeah. board. I wonder if Martin just said, you know what, this works well enough let's go with it yeah. as opposed to having, you know, really made it more dynamic and more interesting and let felt more fleshed out. So again, it's not I, I'm not trying to make it as an indictment. No. For all I know, no. the man it spent does hundreds work of hours yeah. you know doing it. I, I, I'm not I'm not saying that, but I think that there there was the the, the ability and the, the, the option to make it more dynamic. On a quick tangent, mm-hmm. it could just be, the he just didn't think of it. Because if you look in Indonesia, the Splatter guys, when we interviewed them, we asked them about you know why they didn't do this or, or why they did do this uh, regarding Indonesia. And they were like, just didn't think about it. It just kind of, it we just ran with it. So, okay, fair enough. Right so, enough. it's not yeah. an indictment. No, it's right, just right. maybe he, they just didn't, he, he chose not to go in that
1: direction. Fair enough
0: but I do like this idea more. Okay, I have no idea if it works, but I love the idea. Next time we play, we'll try
1: it. Sure. So uh, the Guild has asked us some questions. There was only one that we did not address in our uh, talks here, and that question is, there have been uh, a lot of talk about shorter games being quote-unquote better these last few months. Something I recall you, meaning us, rejecting in the hobby as a whole. Oh boy, do I. Tinner's Trail seems to form a group of games, or be, I guess really be a part of a group of games, that are fairly brief, pretty interesting, basic mechanics, emergent gameplay. From the Guild, I've also picked up Chicago Express, and when we'll include that in that bracket. He talks about a container and stuff like that. Do you guys recognize this grouping? If so, there are other games to look for.
0: Well, I, I said the 60- to 90-minute game certainly has a place. Now, speaking just from uh, for us... They have a place, just not as the main games on a given game day. Having games like these, the shorter but weighty games, are wonderful for between main gaming courses. Mm. A step up from filler, but not really the featured attraction of the day. And it's not light, so there's got to be a term or a classification for these type of games, because they're not light games. They're not really short. They're not filler. So it's somewhere in between. So maybe somebody can throw out some ideas on that. Um, but as far as other games to include, this is me, and I'm sure, sure you sure. have your own take. Um, King of Siam, or the new the, the new inter, the uh, King is Dead, yeah. There you go. Noya Heimat, I think, is no. the quintessential uh, example of a l- this. A lot of the winsome titles we've talked about. I, I had that. I also I, I kind of agree with Container at lower player counts because it plays so quick. Right. Uh, maybe Spikerstat by Feld, mm. I thought, maybe. Yeah. And also Metropolis, yeah, the the yeah. Starry game, yeah. I thought. Um, so off the top of my head, when sure. I was kind of prepping for the show, I was going through my collection, and I was like, yeah, these fit. There are others that are shorter, like Arboretum and stuff, but those are filler, true filler. So what's your take well, on it? I
1: mean, just for myself, I don't advocate that the length of a game is equivalent to its uh, awesomeness. I, I think really the spirit of what we meant at least i meant was quality over quantity i'd rather play quality games rather than oh let's get 10 different games in today exactly and and i don't really care what what the length of it is if you said we're going to play five games that are Tinner's trails length and meet i'd be perfectly happy with that typically the games that we prefer are typically longer (laughs) you know so i mean that's just how that works out so there's great long games there's great medium games there's great short games
0: But like you said, quality over quantity. Indeed. That's the key. You want to summarize Tinner's Trail? And then I will? Sure. Um, Real short and sweet. Quirky, attractive, and a lot of fun. Perfectly fills that, quote unquote, more than a filler time, either between main games or to start or end a Mm -hmm. game day. Embrace the theme and enjoy the ride. I say it's recommended. Do you have a rating? I do uh I gave it a solid four, okay um I think if if that market mechanic didn't feel so factor thoughtish yeah. and, and flat, very well could legitimately be a five, but I okay. think that that's the one thing for me holding it back
1: uh, for me, definitely this game, unlike a lot of Martin wallace titles, um, has a lack of ambiguous situations and weird rules that compound on each other it's very it's very simple and straightforward and uh, it's quite clear you strike while the iron's hot with the different uh, goods that you're going to mine don't sleep on your turn either because every action you're going to count is going to count it's a it's quite a thematic game i feel especially having read the history stuff in the rules that adds to the to the thematic nature of it it's quick playing it's got crunchy auctions some great mechanics and that random, as we mentioned, fits the theme and the historical explanation, and it affects everyone evenly. Uh, besides the, the auctions, the concept of just you know reducing the water levels in your minds before you extract ore, before you run out of actions, um, and other players with a well-timed auction could upset your plans if you're like, crap, now I have to win that one. I can't let him win that. It's just simply terrific for me. So look, uh, J.K.L.M., is out of business tree frog is shutting it down if this game has any interest in you do you if you have any interest in this game um just get a copy right now i got mine from a uh, game surplus rock on and i'm giving it a five um i hear what you're saying on the four thing but for me man fighting in these auctions against like you and paul chad is just the bomb
0: yeah it's it's a lot of fun and yeah. like i said i i'm not gonna i'm not gonna fault you at all putting it there
1: that's tinner's trail Liberty, equality, fraternity, or death. The last, much the easiest to bestow, O oh guillotine. Liberte, designed
0: by Martin Wallace, published in 2001, originally by Warfrog Games, reprinted by Valley Games. Plays three to six players, and plays in about two hours. So, Liberte covers the time period between the convening of the Estat de General. In 1789 until the rise of Napoleon Bonaparte in 1799. My Emperor. At its core, Liberté is a card-driven, area-majority game that plays over the course of four rounds. Not a standard area-majority game, mind you, but one nonetheless. The goal of the game, provided it goes the full four rounds, is to have the most victory points after the fourth round of the game. You gain those points, mostly, by having the most influence in the party that won the election that round. There are three factions or parties vying for control of France via elections. The royalists, moderates, and radicals, represented by white, blue, and red blocks, respectively. Getting the most influence in the winning party, however, requires that you have cunning, mani- cunningly manipulated the individual elections of the 27 or so provinces within France that round. You get that ever-important influence by playing a card, possibly two, which will dictate in what region you may place those influence blocks, as well as how much influence, one to three blocks, and of what faction that influence is for. Players take turns playing and drawing cards, adding blocks of influence while respecting the placement rules. Each province can have a total of three stacks, One stack belonging to a single player, and each of those stacks may only be three influence high and may only contain one party's colored blocks. Got all it? Good. (laughs) Once one of the party's block supply has been emptied, that triggers the end of the action phase. After settling the battle for the round and awarding those points, each province's votes is determined by the highest stack of influence. The owning player of the highest stack in each province receives one of those blocks of influence. Paris being the exception in which they're awarded all of them. Mm -hmm. With max stack size of three blocks, there can be significant amounts of ties during the elections. Players may choose to spend a card from their tableau that they kept previously during the action phase to help influence that province and win that block. After all the provinces have been determined, whichever party has the most votes wins the election. The two players with the most blocks in a winning party's colors are awarded points, as is the player with the most blocks in a party that finished last in the election. If the players get to the end of the fourth round, whomever has the most VPs wins. But there are (laughs) a couple of ways the game can end suddenly that I haven't mentioned. Indeed they are. First, if at any point the radicals, i.e. the red blocks, win 17 or more of the provinces in a given round during the election, they automatically trigger the end of the game and whomever has the most red influence, both in cards and blocks, wins. VPs don't mean squat. The same goes if at any time, save for during the elections, the royalists, the white blocks, ever control seven or more certain provinces and someone brings this to the table's attention. The game ends immediately and the player with the most white blocks and influence wins. Right.
1: That's the interesting part. Exactly. Brings it to the table's attention.
0: So the game, mechanically, really quite simple. But there's, I think, quite quite a good bit of depth to the game. Mm -hmm. Do you load up your blocks in a particular province or spread them out and try to win multiple provinces? Do you use any of your special cards to execute someone's general and remove their ability to influence a tied region or lead a battle? Or maybe you have a card that removes their entire stack of influence in a province, all the while constantly keeping an eye out for someone pushing for a white counter-revolution with the Re- royalists. There's a lot to lot to tra- not really track, but a lot
1: of options, even though you're only drawing a card or playing a card. Right, and like the way you started that off, what you just said was um, simple. And like this is this is another Martin Wallace game that the rules are not difficult. Like I you explained it that day when i pleaded and i i understood immediately right it's unusual for martin wallace it seems <laughs> sometimes i could i i can get on board with that
0: so there's plenty of tension in the gameplay as well as watching the election play out and you know not being sure how it's going to you know turn out and having an election come down to the final few provinces and maybe there's ties in those provinces and some players the 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 tied players have cards that they haven't used yet, you know to where they can then use them in those ties, and you don't know which way right. it's going to go and I think there's 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 a lot of fun you know like nail
1: biting tension yeah uh I definitely agree there is there is tension tactical tension because you don't know what's you know what are they holding what do they have up there that they're going to play Dude, Ed, will you really spend that three general on this i uh, I'm going to make you find out, right? Right, right, exactly.
0: (laughs) Now, watching other players, you know, draw cards from the face-up cards can kind of give you information on what other players' plans are, you know, which forces you to, you're engaged the whole time because you should be watching what cards people are drawing. Oh, he's going for a lot of white cards. Maybe he's going for a counter-revolution and it's something you need to be aware of. Maybe not this round. But maybe in subsequent rounds, you need to watch what he's doing with those white blocks. Or it could be red or blue, but just as an example, you do need to be constantly aware of what everyone is doing at the table.
1: Um, One thing I dug about the game was uh, it played six really well. It's not nearly as chaotic as I expected. I I feared that it would just be a a disaster, and it was not.
0: Right, because I had played it three and four players a couple of times, and three was fine. Uh, four was really enjoyable hmm. um i feel like four or five's really going to be the sweet spot and i just wanted to experience six just to see the chaos explode
1: well you know it's and nice it to really have wasn't games there. that you can play with six actually
0: right because they're few and far between right. now there are games that say they play six agreed but they're not you six player don't games. want to do it <laughs> which i thought it was it was totally playable and totally reasonable in I, this
1: i also love this period of time And, yes, Napoleon is my emperor. So So with those
0: special cards... Excuse me, Bonaparte. With those special cards that I briefly mentioned, there is some nastiness in a take that way that can definitely turn some people off. Highly tactical. Um, Agreed. The sudden death victory conditions can also be really sneaky and definitely Mm -hmm. is going to be uh, divisive, I think.
1: Well, that's not a new thing in, in Wallace games. He's got several games where the ending conditions can be sudden and different and unexpected and wonky or whatever, you know, so. And see, I
0: like it because it require, even though it may feel sudden to the players that weren't expecting it, the players that have been planning it, it requires
1: yeah. planning. It's not. It's probably one of those things you like or don't like. Right. About it, a game.
0: It's, my point is, it's not going to sneak up on those that are, Causing it to. happen. I can it. see
1: how many white areas there are.
0: Right. Well, you had the chance to a pay attention to it. Right. B, you had a do chance about to it. do something about it. But just because I'm doing it in a smart, subtle, subtle bleh, a smart, subtle way, then yeah, hey, good on me. Because you had some actually, good drugs for this, cold, buddy. Right. <laughs> that happened in our first game, in which I fell way behind. Uh, during the second round and I saw how it was playing out and I'm like I have no chance if this goes to victory points I know I have no chance so I spent the entire next two rounds very subtly building up the Royalists you know and then on the coup de grace on the final action of the final turn I was last because God knows I was way behind in victory points I was able to boom 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 and look at that I won and at first Paul Chad who was in the game really didn't like it because he's like well, what the hell because right. he's been he'd been dominating in victory points right right but again I had been planning that and working towards that for half the game the just because he's the mouse just because I wasn't being obvious about it doesn't mean it wasn't a legit way and Damn. he actually came around to to realizing that and actually was like huh yeah okay I can get on board with that Okay. So I yeah I, I really dug that um, the one caveat on the rules that I want to point out is the dagger variant We never played without it and it, it's it's a real simple thing and it's actually in the rules for the second edition the Valley games which is the edition I have right. that we played um, it's generally accepted that yes you play with this variant because it it keeps the the face-up cards from getting stagnant and people avoiding them it gives more value to the one influence cards as opposed to them being completely worthless versus the two and three uh so it's simple it's something simple apparently somebody on the bgg forums named dagger uh that's his username and Ah. that's where it comes from it's not from like a backstabby thing
1: okay
0: but anyway yeah so give him uh, the dagger uh, uh we never played without it, but from what I gather
1: in reading, you shouldn't. Okay. So, yeah.
0: But yeah, that's uh that's what I got. You got anything
1: else? Um you know, I'm not I'm not a huge area control fan and I've played the game once, so take it, you know, with a grain of salt here, but uh in that six player game, I won. And I won by not playing in any areas that other people were playing essentially. No, that's smart, I think. But I was doing that because of the cards I was drawing. And so I didn't really dig the game. Okay. I don't mind the game, if that makes any sense.
0: No. I I will play it again.
1: I totally get that. You're not a fan of games like Dominant Species? Uh, Area control. Conflict of plants. I want my area control to be short, i.e. The King of Siam. Sure. (laughs) That's 20 minutes, I'm done. It's just
0: not in your wheelhouse. Right, right, right. Whereas I I really enjoy this type of game. Um, so yeah, it's just different strokes for different exactly, folks. Exactly, exactly. Um, but like you said, even though it's not your your type of game, there's something here that's worthy of playing. Yeah, it was not unfun. Right, <laughs> right? it was fun. All right. So some questions from the guild. Yes. Uh, first off, uh, I played Liberté before I played Colonialism by Spielworks, uh, but found the structure to be somewhat similar. Which of the two games do you prefer? For I, me...
1: I didn't find the structure
0: similar really at all. Really? You didn't? No. I, I
1: totally do the card play and yeah, the interaction. You're playing and the... some face-down cards, and then there's resources in the places that you're doing the area control. And actually, I like colonialism quite a lot, which is... An area an control, control game. An area control game, but it's got right. some interesting little twists, so...
0: I, I, to be honest with you... When, I, I don't see the comparison. See, when when Ben asked this question, I, I kind of was like, dude, I totally get that. Now, they're not similar in a sense that you can trade one out for the other. The, the, there's the card play. Yes, the first card that you play in Colonialism is face down, but everything else subsequent is face up.
1: But it's also – yeah, it's a it, hand of cards and it's I not, just yeah.
0: – I, I got a similar feel. But for me – um I enjoy the dark theme, I guess, in colonialism. I do too. Um, I more. feel like
1: a colonial despot,
0: right? And mm-hmm. so, I, I, I would probably lean a little bit more towards colonialism as far as if I had a favorite. Sure, um, but Same. it's not—it's not a huge, you know, chasm. So, next up, did you find the start of the game meaningful, or do you just cast out counters
1: until a motivation eventually emerges? Um. I put out counters where I had cards to allow me to do so, <laughs> with with some amount of strength, <laughs> you know. So I found the the. I mean, I didn't. I found the game just as a mechanical exercise, really. You know? Okay. So, and a lot of that had to do with the luck of my draw in my first game. So, um. So no, know, no, just
0: random, just here let's see what happens
1: i can play in this area this area or this area right
0: (laughs) see i said i get what you're saying here the only information you have at the beginning is your hand so that can drive your early decisions but i feel like at the now keep in mind i've played this four or five times versus your one um but by the midpoint of the first round you get a feel for the direction the wind is blowing and you can adjust as need be or at least attempt to with card draws uh, to either join the way things are going, or to try and draw cards to counteract that. Mm. But again, you are to a point limited by the draw of the cards. So, last but not least, did this remind you of any other game at all? And I, I said that I really think that you know Ben has it right with the comparison to colonialism. Obviously there's no native population to exterminate first and, and nor resources. It's a um but I but I get a similar feel. So did you have anything that you felt was similar? Area control. No no I mean, you know, it's just the mechanic you're right. saying. You know, okay. Similar
1: mechanic to many other games. A lot of differences in Libertag, you know, so
0: you got a summary for us, sir?
1: I don't. I don't feel like with one play and lukewarm on just area control that I okay. could really do justice. To the game or anything like that. Or even rate it. I
0: appreciate your honesty. Yeah, you I know. Do. Yeah. So, alright. For me, if the game were a simple area majority game, I'd say that it'd get stale quickly. But I found enough subtleties in the card play as well as the sudden victory conditions to separate itself from other like-minded games. While it certainly won't be in a, a, a win for everyone, a.k.a. my partner here... <laughs> Those that don't mind a little backstabbery mixed in with some Martin Wallace quirkiness will find a game that will reward repeated play and I'm I'm happy to say it has a home on my shelf. Right on. I give it a rating of four.
1: Okay. Um
0: but yeah, if I had if you put a gun to my head and said pick one, whether it's colonialism or, or liberte, I would I would lean colonialism. Good decision. Yeah. So that's uh that's liberte by Martin Wallace. All right, this should be a lot of fun, because I'm really curious to get your legitimate take on our featured review
1: tonight, and that's Masters of Venice. Masters of Venice, a little-known quirky game of stock trading and commerce in medieval Venice. Oh, this has a theme? Now, if you're still awake. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Um, It's a 2009 publication by R&R Games. The designer is Frank DiLorenzo. And Jared Blondo is the artiste involved in the game. It's a two to five player game. It takes about 30 minutes per player, in my estimation of our mini plays. Uh, availability and cost of the game is. Um, <laughs> it, it's out there, man. I got mine for like 15 bucks. I saw it on Amazon for 26. It's out there. On the BGG market, the
0: lowest I saw
1: that's in good shape, 12 bucks. Yeah, so it's available. It's it's totally available. Our Games site has it for sale too. So what is happening in the Masters of Venice?
0: Please tell us, sir. Trading in the Mediterranean, possibly?
1: Possibly. Yeah, Just one small area thereof. <laughs> it is a pick-up-and-deliver, secret auction, commodity speculation, stock ownership, action drafting, role selection game. And recipe filling. And recipe filling. <laughs> <laughs> that was the pick-up-and-deliver part Okay, for me. fair yeah. enough. Fair so enough. Same, okay. same gig in All there. Right. There are 12 turns in this game, interrupted every three turns for a bidding round. So it'll start with a bidding round, go three turns, bidding round, three turns, etc., 12 turns. The bidding round is going to determine the turn order for the next three turns, next three rounds, and allow the players to select a role that will be used by them during those next three rounds. On each turn, the players will all secretly select a location on the board for their pawn to move to. Then, in turn order, the players will take the action associated with the location that they move to. Some of the locations are shared, and that means that uh, if one of the players selects that location, then all of the players will get an action there. And this is a very critical part of the game. So all of the players that go to a given shared location will take their actions in turn order, then... All of the players that did not go to that shared location with their pawn will still get an action there, but they're going to get their action in table order after the last person in turn order that acted there. It sounds a little weird, but it really works interestingly. So there's uh, there's four kinds of shared locations. There's the shops where you can sell commodities. There's the guild hall where you can acquire and or fulfill guild orders. There is the stock market where you can buy and or sell shares of stock and there's the docks where you can uh, purchase commodities off of the shipping docks as they come in to venice now there's also uh three non-shared locations so you only get to do actions in these places if your pawn is sent there so there is the mercado where you can buy or sell buy and or sell one commodity of your choice there's the church where you can buy a token that's going to allow you to influence orders, which is really um, uh, an indicator of demand for commodities at the different shops, and we'll talk about that. And there are the shipping offices. There's actually two. There's a north shipping office and a south shipping office, where you can acquire a cube, a commodity cube, that's there at that office, but it's also like a mechanic that makes the docks in the game get repopulated with other commodities, so that's kind of interesting. So, it's possible to create kind of combo moves. For example, you go to the market to buy that special commodity you need, and another player later in the turn order goes to a guild hall where you'll be able to fulfill your guild order now. That's kind of a nice turn. Right. So, you can, you can look at the turn order where people might want to go and plan your turn accordingly. Provided people went in the places you needed right. them to go. Damn it. Maybe they're thinking you're going to go there, and I'm thinking you're going to go there, and no one goes there. <laughs> Almost like a game of chicken. (laughs) Yes. So as each turn's location resolution unwinds itself, the players are basically working to make money in an oft-changing economic climate. The primary things the players are going to be doing on their turn are these. They're going to acquire commodity cubes either to sell them for cash or to turn them in at the guild for victory points. They're going to buy and or sell stock trying to keep your capital gains in line. You know, you're looking for stocks that might split, quote-unquote, and get you some extra um, uh, victory points and also uh, looking to take advantage of little incremental gains in stock shares based on what you see other players are potentially going to do. And you're also fulfilling guild orders to earn those victory points. And what's kind of interesting is you can decide when you get victory points... From guild orders, whether to take victory points or to spend the victory points to uh, trade the victory points, I guess, would be a better way to describe it for $50. So if I earn three victory points, I could take two victory points and 50 bucks, for example, or some combination. At the end of the game, every unfulfilled guild order that you've acquired during the game will cost you two victory points. Each commodity cube you're stuck with will be taxed at half of its current value at the end of the game. Which is awesome, I think. It's It's a little thing, but I dig it. And and basically, every $100 worth of cash and investments you have is worth a victory point. That's what's going on in Masters of Venice. All right, uh, let's get into the review. Scalability. I don't know how many times I've played. I've played several three- and four-player...
0: And we played it once, five. The first game we played okay. was
1: five. Like... Oh, yeah, at HeavyCon was the first time. I, don't know, I played I,
0: it five times. And I um, played
1: it maybe seven, because I think I got a couple more rounds in than you. But okay. I, I haven't been a track. You played it three, we played four. played it several times.
0: Three and four mostly, uh, and
1: once at five player. I tell you, I'm not particularly interested in trying the game as a two-player affair. I, I guess people say it's fine or whatever, but it's not the kind of game I seek for two players. Yeah, Agreed. Um, I like the more interaction of the players. But other than that, scalability-wise, what do you think of it? Um, That was fine. It definitely has its differences um, in playtime, obviously, which is kind of why I, I couched it at like 30 minutes a player. Because our three-player games go really quick, but the four- and five-player games are a little bit slower. Right. But there's more things going on in those games. And you're likely to get more actions Correct. due to shared right. actions. There's more people possibly going to those shared locations. I
0: think it scales well, and I it's just... It feels different at the three player counts that I've experienced, the three, four, and five. Um, so that's a good thing, but it's really hard for me to say which I like more. I think four. Um, I Likely four or five, uh, but it definitely will play considerably longer with, with the four and five player counts mm-hmm. as
1: opposed to three. Definitely so. So uh, speaking of the cardboard in the box, uh, components and graphic design.
0: All right, so components... I feel like it's it's pretty solid quality compor- component save for the Sorry pieces. Sorry meeples, yeah. Yeah, well, no no, hold on. Cool. Hold on. Don't call them meeples. No. They're they're plastic pawns from the game Sorry. They are. Okay, so that has no place. There's no. just no reason for no. it. It's too now, if this were from the the mid 90s, okay, I'd buy that. Sure, but this game's from 2009. There's yeah. no excuse for that. It just doesn't fit with no, anything no, no. else in the game.
1: The cubes though they're like the, they're like a centimeter across, big chunky, cool cubes. So. Yep. And then you got the plastic. I'm like, what?
0: Yeah, it just doesn't go. the The dials are all done well. Yeah. Uh, you may have to hammer them a little to tighten them up a yeah. little. Um, but the board itself is Oof. super thick. Uh, the the tiles for the rolls, ju- the, the roll, just yep. everything about it is just really solidly done. The
1: money is serviceable, but we use we, poker chips. Yeah. Uh,
0: the gondoleri, the, the wooden boat oh, yeah. the is, is big and chunky. Very um, cool. Yeah, I uh, the 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 different guild boards, they're the same thickness yeah. as the player board or as the main board. So I'm a big fan. I think they did a really, really good job. However of that. now we go into graphic design. <laughs> so my apologies to Jennifer Vargas and Jared Blando, but and
1: I Wait, who's apologizing to who here?
0: No. I I understand what they were trying to do with the main board. And, it, yeah, I, yeah, I, and I I have, you and I have had many a discussion about our, the actual verbiage that we use on this show. And make sure that there are certain keywords that unless they are absolutely, genuinely warranted, we don't use. And that's on purpose. Hmm. But I hate this main <laughs> board. I really, really dislike it. Um, I understand the artwork theme that they were going for. It just... I don't mind the art on it. I just... It just doesn't work. It's just... When we played our first game of this... At HeavyCon? At HeavyCon. We said that, yeah, I'm willing to buy a copy, but I made you and Mo promise that you guys (laughs) redesign the main board to make it more playable. Because this is the epitome of form over function, and I can't
1: stand the form either. No, it's too small. It gets too crowded. You can't tell where crap is when stuff's all over it. And it's, yeah. So, so I laid out a larger board that is purely functional and, um, and I separated. So all the shared areas on the outside of the canal, the private areas, the non-shared areas on the inside of the canal. And I think it's quite functional. And so it's been waiting for us to get these plays in and review the game So I think it's probably time to send that to Mo for his artiste. Right. His artistic Uh, skills.
0: But okay, outside of the actual functionality of the main board, I think they did a really, really good job. Graphic design and everything else. Um, But yeah, just... Okay, I've harped enough on the board. Let's move on.
1: Rule book... Um i be all quite clear for Hold me. on.
0: Uh last episode you said uh I forget what game it was. You said yeah, you never read the rule book, but you, you found it fine for reference. So, I can't remember so let me Fed Scotch since huh? Let me uh let me switch roles okay. and say He's I have never... never read the rule book. However, um referencing questions that have a you know ar- arisen or arose or ar- arisen anyway, um Reared that have come heads? up, yes. I was able to easily find all the answers in a rulebook, so that tells me it's laid out
1: logically, and it's at least put together decently. You bet. So, is this game heavy? Is this game medium? What is this game for for your mind? I think it falls into the heavy category, but not
0: necessarily for standard reasons. Huh. What about you?
1: I want to hear more about these standard reasons, and I'm sure we're going to. Um... I think it's it falls in the heavy category as well because I, I think it's certainly not medium, um, just because of some of the obtuseness of what's going on in the game, you know. So,
0: huh, funny you say that. Yeah. So let's start off talking about uh, complexity. Okay. So my first point, and I have this in bold. <laughs> okay. This game is the poster child of a game that would be wholly unplayable without the player aid. Completely unplayable. Impossible to play without the player aid. Agreed. Okay. So, the complexity on this is very... For a Euro, taking more games out of this yeah, yeah, discussion, yeah. obviously. This is probably the one of the hardest games to wrap your head around What it to, for the rules to get out of the way. When you were taught this game, you're a little bewildered. A little? Okay, a lot sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. Uh there's lots of media decisions, but it takes a long time for the rules to get out of the way. So this is very high on the uh, rules complexity scale and weight.
1: I think. Yeah, I mean, like the essential nature of the rules is not hard, but each area does different things, and some of them do the same thing, and some do that but not that, and that's where all that complexity comes in, and that's why that aid is just so so required. Vital. Yeah.
0: When you were going through the overview of the game, you had mentioned how when they're shared actions, they don't go in turn order. They go... Here's well, a perfect example. They go in
1: turn order, then table order.
0: Right. So they go in turn order based on who's gone there. So if the first and third player went there, the first player will take the action first. The third player will take the action second. And then instead of the second player, then the fourth player going, you know, which would mm-hmm. make sense, it actually goes... and. It works, don't get me wrong, yeah. but it, it actually would go to the player to the left of the third player because they were the last one who actually took the action. <laughs> Hold on, yeah. there's another caveat. Unless somebody who is the gondolieri chooses to take their action and first and interrupt it and they right. go first. Yeah. So there is a perfect example of you got to be me, right? <laughs> right? When you're learning this game. And so this is where just the rules... Absolutely get in the way early on and add extreme
1: weight to learning the game. So, what about the planning? You know, forethought, thinking ahead, organizing activities, achieving goals. At its most basic, like you
0: said, it's a recipe fulfillment, stock investing, and timing game. Planning's going to play a big role in, well, pretty much across the board, really, in every aspect of this game. I feel like it is a a somewhat tactical, very strategic game.
1: Hmm. Um, I'm going to go flip side on you. I'm sure. a, I, I think that the game really only offers short-term strategies, um, and that it. I agree with you. It is a game of timing and not of really long-term planning. I, I when I'm playing it, I think like a Venetian a Venetian merchant. Almost said Venusian, I think a Venetian merchant. They're but, on a different planet. That is also a day trader. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, there's not, there's not an engine in this game. I think this game is all about speculation and timing and incremental gains over the other players. And those things, to me, are, do not speak long-term strategy. It's not like, oh, buy IBM stock because it's going to be, you know, it's not like that at all. Um, to me, and so I think most plannings just spans a few turns of of the three of the blocks of three, you know. And um, again, it's a game of timing: mean, buy low, sell high. Whether it's a cube, whether it's a share, it doesn't matter. And the turn orders and the location—I mean, all that's constantly um, affecting things. I and mean, that's why I think I feel like the day trader planning. I totally agree with you on that. However
0: uh an overarching strategy Mm. of if i'm going to go heavy guild orders or if i'm going to go heavy investing kind of big picture wise Mm. i feel like can be rather strategic along that's kind of the big umbrella in which all of these other tactical decisions fall under so i feel like it is a mix of the two okay so how do you feel about luck and random factors Well, there is some, and it can impact play. Absolutely. But I don't know that there's enough here that really bothers me. Uh, The big one, at least to me, and if I'm forgetting anything, please chime in, but the guild orders certainly can be luck of the draw, and some lucky draws can tilt the game in one player's favor or another. Sure, Uh, You know, if somebody, if you have a lot of resources already, and you go, someone goes to the guild... And you draw the right card, boom! You can turn that mm-hmm, in right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and those those guilds, yeah. those uh, guild orders, are significant amount of points three through six. Oh, yeah. And in a game in which you know yeah. thirty points would be a phenomenally good score, right. three to six points is a lot of points. Right. So yeah, I multiple times it, it does. That it, that part does play a big factor. The order of the church favors. In my opinion, has very minimal impact yeah.
1: on the game. I I, I usually buy one, uh, if at all, and I right. probably I don't buy one won in every <laughs> last game. Last yeah.
0: game, dude, you should have.
1: <laughs> and then there are the uh, the rumor timers yeah, for the for Gondola Larry. They're a nice touch for being last, but being last isn't that big of a handicap in this game. But it is completely random as to which rumor you get.
0: Yeah. Okay, they're, they're random on the rumor yeah. part, but I do feel turn order does play a Decent factor. This is we'll uh, that.
1: this is random, but it's probably not a big deal. It's like every player randomly dealt one share of stock, and that's you know that's what you start the game with, and a cube. Um, and there's lots of drawing cubes from a bag, so that's always going to be oh yeah obviously sure. I
0: I funny I didn't even put that down it, but obviously yes.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, so
0: well, let me, hold on yeah, before sure, we move sure. on. Let me ask you fire with these with these with the. I'll say random. I don't really want to say luck. The the luck comes into, oh, I drew the right guild order. Right. That type thing. But as far as the random fact, do you think it adds to or, you know, uh, takes away from the weight of the game? Because a lot of times we kind of talk about what the luck and random factors are, yeah. but we're not really addressing, is it adding or taking away from the game? I or, think, or neither?
1: I think it, honestly... um I think it takes away from the weight of the game and, and from the gameplay at times. Um, you know, like, hey, I have this rumor. I have two green rumors and a yellow one. Cool. That's really going to help me. You know, it makes the game easier. It takes away some of the weight. Okay. I totally agree with that. Okay. Uh, is game length an
0: issue for you weight-wise? Ah. Uh, it plays really quickly with three players, reasonably well with four, and honestly, I feel like I need to play it more at five to get a better feel for it. When we played it the first time, it was the very last game of HeavyCon, and we were all pretty wiped out by then. it was the then. first time
1: we played it. Right.
0: And it felt like it just dragged forever. Yet, we both wanted a copy after playing. Yes. So, it couldn't have been that bad, right? Correct, um, correct. I feel confident saying that the game length uh, will increase... As you increase the player count, but it's—I don't know—that it adds much weight uh, by way of weight to the game. Maybe, maybe it adds when you hit to the fifth player. It would add to the weight because it, it does make more volatility in prices as well. At well, that I would say would would offset some of the weight. But mm. I'm feeling the mm-hmm. actual game length itself oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. adding. Yeah, it makes it feel. Long uh, okay. with five players, but again, we were extremely worn out at That's that right. point. Um, so, if and it does, scotch. if it does add anything to the game like uh, game weight, the game length, I'm talking about, mm-hmm. I would say
1: nominally. Agree. I just wrote, you know, no. <laughs> not,
0: not, not not a big deal. We had this whole elaborate here, thing. Here, I just let, wrote. I just let wrote me no. take this three minutes. No, on. it's cool. No. So before right. we
1: talk about getting it, I have a I have a something <laughs> about the, the the weight of the game that um, plays into getting it. Okay. It doesn't fit into our other categories, and that is people that are new to the game. And as we found out last weekend, sometimes people that are not new to the game. <laughs> well, um, can this forget- is me, Tony. <laughs> can forget that the orders in the shop. Are needed to be able to fulfill guild orders and to sell cubes and and like you'll see folks plan an action to go there and they'll and oh, I'm gonna sell these three cubes. Shit, there's only one order, right? And they'll and that like that'll hose them constantly. I am forgetting that and
0: it's my own fault because there's a lot to track in this game, but it definitely at that that goes to. Yeah, I see what you're saying because you know it's not I mean? rules complexity;
1: it's just it's, it's one luck. more thing you got to keep track of, and for the noobs especially,
0: I it's hard. I, I wouldn't say for the noobs; I'd yeah. say for everyone. Thank you. Okay.
1: So how about <laughs> how about getting it? You know, like so many games we feature on Heavy Cardboard, um, the machinations of this game are, are complex to hear, but they're they're not the beast they appear to be after you get into the game and get used to it. There are a few. Um, gotcha claws and stuff like the like the orders that'll still catch you and stuff like that but um I feel like um after half the game you kind of can confi- but you're already you're already dead by then right <laughs> you <know? laughs> so you're you'll hopefully be looking forward to your second second play of it
0: yeah i i would say it it takes at least the full game and in my case i still get bit by some of this stuff as far as the getting it right and Going into our, our most recent game, so that's my fourth or fifth game, I was like, and we'd played it a few games in in quick succession, you know, over the course of a number of days instead of weeks, and I was like, I don't have a plan. I don't know. I, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know I got to get points, but I just don't have like a a, a really good. Hey, I'm gonna try this strategy. Yeah. Nah, uh, uh-uh. uh. And I'm four ga- four games in. So I would say. Complexity-wise, as far as the getting it and the mm-hmm. weight there, I would put it on par with a game like Venus As oh, far interesting. as interesting. extremely hard for it to just click. click, yeah, to actually and I like that though. Oh God, gotcha. yeah, that's not. I I don't mind battling through it because I feel like there's enough
1: there. Right on. All right, let's talk about. Things we particularly enjoy about this uh, this here game. All right, start with the setup.
0: The variable goods that are available—they're randomly drawn from the bag, mm-hmm. right? But the thing that I just—that is so cool—and it—it's probably dumb that I get this excited about this. Okay, is the market is affected before the game even starts? Yeah, because everything starts at a base of forty dollars or right. forty ducats. ducats. Uh, so forty bucks. But for every cube, every resource drawn out of the bag pre game, just to seed the board and for the players, that price, all those different prices are going to be adjusted. Mm-hmm. So every game is going to start out, you know, more different. Marginally values, different. Right? But, dude, why do more games not do that? I think that is fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's very cool. You don't want to have every good worth the exact same amount of, good, of money at the beginning of the game. Yeah, right? most do. Right, right. So, you know, or, I think that's fantastic. Artificially yeah. fixed in some right, other manner. Right, right, right. That's very cool. The um, bidding for turn order. I really, uh, I dig that. It's a blind bid. Not everybody likes that. I don't mind it because you're going to get something for your money um, no matter what you've spent. Unless, of course, it, you spend zero. Because if even if you, quote, unquote, lose the bid, you still pay it. Yeah right, right. But but again, you're going to get something for your money. Right. You're going to be able to affect the number of orders in a shop either up or down. So that can be very tactical to help you or hurt others. More more help you, I would say. Absolutely, more help more help you. And it's an interesting decision because uh at least for me, money's tight sometimes. So it's like, man, how much do I want to invest in this in this Turn order thing because I really need to buy a freaking red cube. You know, it's, it it can make for some hard decisions.
0: And it also uh, affects what roles you know are available. Because okay, let's right. say let's say I still bid ten, but I took third. Maybe third's better than fourth because I didn't want the gondolieri. So okay, I still have an option for something else. But here's another cool aspect on that. Okay, is. If you want the gondolieri, because you want to be able to get those rumors, which are those, you know, hey, move one peg any right. any direction, um, you still might desperately need to adjust the orders. Because like what you were saying, the amount you bid is going to be able to, for every $5 you bid, you adjust the orders up in one shop, mm-hmm. or $10 for every 10 you can adjust one shop down, right. either or, and you must do one. So... If you desperately need to raise the orders in a store, but you still really want to be the gondolieri. I love that you still have to bid something to be able to raise those orders, but you're still hoping you bid low enough because their increments of five to be able to still get the role that you want. And I think even something as simple as that is just
1: it's just another layer of decision making, which is which is great. And I want to be last at least once during the game. Not more than two times, but one or two times in the game, I want to be last so that I can acquire those rumors and once in each of those three sets of rounds, or sets of three rounds, interrupt turn order. Right. I think that's kind of cool.
0: And speaking of the turn order, I like that as the gondolieri or Larry as we pronounce it, whatever. Larry. Uh, yeah, la- Larry. Larry the gondola. <laughs> um You can choose one of two things as far as the going first. You can either, the place that you selected, that be the first area that's activated and you go first. Or it could be another area that happens before you go and then go first in that. Interrupt that, Right, so you have an option and that kind of adds to that complexity as far as, Oh wait, you can do this or this or this. And but I dig it. I like the the very or how should I word this? The just it gives you more leeway in how to use that role. You're yeah. not hard fixed
1: into this one particular thing. It's not a it's not a death sentence to be last. Not at all. Of, because of that role, but also just because we're on the subject, just because of the way Turn Order works and the shared areas being last and not going to a shared area when someone else does doesn't mean you're going to be the last one to act in that shared area because of the table order aspect of it and stuff so i just think the turn order mechanic for as screwball as it sounded as we described it is really neat
0: yeah i think it's clever it's just hard to grok at first yeah um so speaking of hard to grok Uh, Even though it still kicks my butt, the game really is intuitive and it makes economic sense. When supply increases, prices fall. Right. When demand increases, prices rise. You go to the church, you ask for favors. All this makes perfect sense, both thematically and in the real world. But man, it can be a bear for me to remember. Let's be clear on
1: the church. You're paying for favors. Well, okay. Well, <laughs> you're tithing, right? And I, I think it's a good idea to, not to pour salt on a wound, but like go to the church and just have one of those markers. And I've only started doing that once in the game, at the beginning of the game. It's a get I'm out of jail church. free card almost. Well, you know what? I learned the hard way too. So, yeah, that, that, yeah, that hurt. But uh, whatever. Hey, I still
0: enjoyed the game. Hell yeah. It's extremely interactive. This game. Oh, yeah. Almost every transaction involving a resource results in the change in demand for both prices for that... uh, Change in demand and And price. price. And the the
1: share price of that shop, too. Right. I love that. Have we mentioned shares in stock market? And and this is where timing is critical from turn to turn. and, and, And the turn order, too. So if you and I are going there and you go first... And uh, you did something to cause the price to go up, and I needed to buy something. Now I'm five bucks short of being able to buy. it. You know, what I mean <laughs> that all right. that timing and the turn order and everything, and all the little the little incremental changes that each player does during the course of the turn to the prices and the demand and the share prices. Wow, it's pretty critical to keep an eye on that. And uh, yeah, and I've been in that spot where it's, I've been five bucks short. Now, thanks a lot for doing that. You know? Yep.
0: Uh, there's a lot to track, but I feel like it's it's intuitive. I enjoy the mental gymnastics for the, the game forces you into. And to piggyback on what you just said, how other players' actions can absolutely force you to change your plans at a drop of a hat. Maybe even right as your turn, before your action has come up, but because somebody else earlier in turn order had a shared action. And now because of what everyone else did, even before your action... All of a sudden you're like, well, all right, we're going to have to adjust and let's figure out another way to uh, to skin the cat.
1: Yes. Making lemonade. Right. Um, so it's the last turn of the game. You're in the lead. You've got some cubes and a guild order. I'm behind. So is player two and three. We have cubes and a guild order. You make the announcement... Oh. I'm yeah. not going to the guild hall jerk offs. <laughs> because like, you have
0: to go there to fill. Because the, we're the losing. Guild.
1: We one of us is gonna have to go. So me and the other players, we're trying to in our minds go, Ah, Sally will do it, or Bob will do it. I won't have and it turns out no one goes. I mean, dude, the, the secret selection of the locations Absolutely. And, and how you can outthink yourself. <laughs> and, well, it's not just that, but it's actually
0: there's there's a bit of intuition and as well as a game of chicken yeah. involved with, and you can kind of not verbally berate. That's, that's, I don't mean to, but you can, you can just
1: manipulate people into yeah. doing what you need them to do. And like you at in the lead, you didn't have to. Nope. You'd be perfectly happy to let one of us go and and score some extra points, but if we don't go, cool. Let's we go. all we all are all gonna lose points <laughs> equally. Exactly. Um, I do love just how
0: the the dials on here are used for a few different things. They're used for initial turn order as far as the bids, but then for every action to select the the, the where you you're going. going. Yeah, and it's just ingenious.
1: I mean, yeah, it's cool. it's it's very 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 well done. The stock split, quote unquote, is kind of cool. And when, when the price of a stock goes up really high, it'll split. So it'll, the price will be chopped in half. But for every share that you owned, you got a victory point. And in a game where victory points are like manhole covers, <laughs> it's pretty cool.
0: Let me ask you something though, and I, I don't want to get off track. Okay. But uh, and it's something we can either discuss now or come back to. Okay. When a stock splits. It just went from a hundred to fifty, or, you know, or right. something, right? Yeah. Right, sure. So then you got a victory point for every share of stock that you just got. Right. So that's the equivalent
1: of a hundred dollars. Well, fifty, right? In the model that you just showed. So I just got a victory point for fifty bucks. I was, I just lost for each share. I just lost say fifty dollars of investment. Ah, yeah. Versus okay. at the end of the game, every hundred as opposed to
0: oh, it's only at the end of the game. Right. That makes sense. So thematically, that actually makes sense. I or, came
1: out ahead. Right, even though right. I quote unquote lost some liquid, right li- liquidity, I came out ahead on the score track. No,
0: okay, cool. That I was going to take that in a different direction, but that cleared it up. Cool. Um, so there's this wonderful nastiness that comes with selling
1: shares. Oh yeah, I think it's more volatile than an eighteen xx uh,
0: than many of them because of how hard the share price is depressed. When yes. you sell a share. Because when you buy a share, regardless of the amount of shares that you buy at any one time. In this game. Right. Your share the share value, if you buy one or three or two, doesn't matter. Right. It's going to go up five bucks, which is one one, one peg. peg. Whereas for every share that you sell, it goes down two for every one. So you can sell up to three at any given time. So if you were to, you know, liquidate three shares, it just went from, you know, wherever it is, down six pegs. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's 30, $30. A
1: share. So, like, I could have cost you three victory points, depending on how heavily invested you were. Absolutely. And I think that's that's
0: a wonderful thing as far as that nastiness. But it's not so much take that, it's, oh, here, I'm getting out before you can, so you don't
1: right. get me. And that's where I'm talking about with the day trading. Because I'm looking for, okay, I own these shares of stock, the price went up because I was watching cubes that were going to be turned in and stuff. Uh, wow, I'm going to dump this and get some cash and hurt your investment and your investment, other players, and spend that money on something else because, oh, now Sally's got three yellow cubes. Well, shoot, I'm going to buy some yellow.
0: But at the same time, on the flip side, you may want to hold on that stock for the simple fact that maybe it's getting close to splitting and you're like, okay, maybe I'm going to try and keep it and then try and
1: help raise the share value of that. But if it's up there in price and looking like it's going to split and I own like two and you own like four, I'm selling them.
0: Sure. I (laughs) understand. Well, because it hurts me more than it does you. Absolutely.
1: And, And the split would help you more than it would help me.
0: And we were, I think we mentioned this a little while ago about how in our our last game, the brutality of using church favors and rumors to remove orders from shops. So if I have a guild order... And the
1: opening bids, too. Right. Yeah.
0: If I have a guild order and you see I have specifically three resources, because every guild order is three resources, and you might, you know use one of those rumors that you got from being the gondolieri and be like, "Oh no, sir. So sorry. Yeah. That shop just I just have... now went out of orders. I apologize the... for this, but, <laughs> right, but this is going to hurt you more than it does me." <laughs> right. Um, and that sucks, but it's it's totally within the spirit totally of the game. Deep.
1: And in in our plays it it's happened and it's important and it's economic. But it didn't happen. It's not like half the game it's not common you no. know I no mean? but
0: but but it is a legit absolutely. thing to a tool in your toolbox absolutely man so there are multiple paths to victory whether you're going to focus on ducats you know on cash stocks guild orders i do feel hmm. in, in our plays that some amount of guild orders is going to be imperative mm-hmm. to be able to keep up with the joneses Um, But it doesn't need to be the end-all, be-all. You can diversify. And I do feel that there are different paths that Hmm. are available. And when you're going to counter this, I'm going to say that it could be be groupthink. It could be that our group specifically, maybe not. But we'll get into that in a minute. Okay. Okay, it's been a minute. Let's get into it now, yeah.
1: So I, you know... Sometimes I like to try to break games and stuff. So in some of our plays, I tried some specific things. So, for example, I tried one strategy where I did not do any guild hall fulfillment. Now, at the beginning of the game, you're dealt one. So I fulfilled that one. And then I never visited the guild hall again. All I did was buy and sell stock, buy and sell stock. I got housed. I scored 13 points, worst I've ever done I don't think that focusing purely on stock transactions is a path to victory.
0: Let me ask you this. Not arguing with you, because I've only seen what you've tried to do. Sure. That was in a three-player game. I wonder... Uh,
1: Yes, it was a three-player game. Was it? Yes, it was. Yes.
0: So I'm wondering, in a five-player game, is that a viable strategy? I don't know. Good point. Good question.
1: So I'm just saying that... So flip side, though, I did try a strategy where... um, I tried not to buy any stocks other than the one I was dealt, and I right. soon sold it, right and focus solely on the guild hall. Um, I did finish second in that, but um, you were competitive. I was competitive, but I, I think you know, from that limited data set, my conclusion is that to the path to victory in this game is to play all aspects of the game. Which I like. I to win this game, I need to fulfill guild orders. I need to play in the stock market. I cannot do one nor the other exclusively. I must do both to some combination.
0: I think I agree with that, but I would like to explore that on the different play, on the higher sure, player counts sure. to to totally agree with you. However, I will say that I do feel like in our in, in a three player game. That there is some wiggle room as far as how much of one versus the other mm. and can Maybe. be can be viable. But again, after here's an example. You've played this game what like six, seven, eight times, whatever. I've played it four or five times. There's still a lot more to explore oh, yeah, here.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the thing I like about my conclusion, be it erroneous or not, about you must play all aspects of the game. Okay. Is There is no, you go that way, I'll go this way in this game. Players are in competition for everything during the game. It's not like, hey, I'll do fishing and you do mining. I'll see you at the end of the game. Okay. Uh Uh-uh. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I dig that. All right, so uh, weirdest moments... There was two two weird moments in games that we've in our sessions that I wanted to to call out cuz I thought okay. they were awesome.
0: All right. Weird in a good way you mean? Yes. Okay. In right.
1: uh in one of the four player games and this was a game where you were in a different session. All four players hit the North Shipping Office on the same turn. We all dialed North <laughs> Shipping Office. So, the payouts for that stock were awesome and the docks were overflowing with goods. Prices were depressed as hell. It was kind of crazy. The other one was in the last time you and I and uh, I uh, Matt's wife played.
0: None of us, nobody
1: bought. bought shipping office stock, and I've never seen that happen before. So, just lot, just cool stuff.
0: There's there's what that tells me is there's there's lots of options and lots <clears throat> of ways to go about doing the same thing. Cool. So, as we transition into things that we're not so keen on... Cool. I have one that I feel straddles the line that I Mm. see both sides of. Okay. Okay. Straddlers. Yes. Or, straddle or singular. So, the word fiddly (laughs) uh, comes up. And, okay, the reason this game is notorious or has a notorious reputation of being fiddly is because on the guild boards... There are three different pegs. There's one for the amount of resources, the the value of the resources. The value. There's one for the value of the shares, and there's another peg for the number of orders.
1: And there are five of those. they're and they're the wood. So there's sixteen pegs in the game.
0: Right. And every time someone buys, sells, gets rid of, fulfills, a it something, comes out of bag. Right. One of those pegs, at, at least a minimum, one. <laughs> is going to be moving one spot. Right. <laughs> per cube or whatever. So, I understand where people call this extremely fiddly and how some people say this would make an awesome app or would make an awesome a, computer, make a
1: hella game. computer game.
0: I would argue that this makes for an awesome badass board game. I love that about this game. The reason is for a couple reasons. Number 1, It's completely interactive. People are always engaged. It forces you. It says you're going to sit your ass down, you're going to play this game, and you're going to do nothing else. You are going to pay attention to this game. You are going to pay attention.
1: That's exactly it. Number
0: one. Number two,
1: it's bump. It's table bump friendly. Okay, you bump it. You know what? It's a peg and a board. It ain't moving. Plus, when you buy more shares of the tailor than me, I can hand you the board. Right. Okay, you're now the Here you the, go. The, you're, you're you the, get to move those pegs right. now.
0: <laughs> um, I enjoy the fiddly nature of
1: this game because of what it represents with this yeah. dynamic market. You're going to move the pegs a lot. Your fingers are going to cramp. Well, maybe not that much. No. But I don't mind it either, man. I I I no, it you're not hearing me. Okay. I didn't say Clarify I didn't me. mind
0: it. I said I like it. Ooh. I think it's a cool Aspect, because it forces you to sit down and constantly be engaged with this game All right. the entire length of the game. I can from, see where you're From going. pre-game, when you're having to adjust the market and everything yeah. from the, ba- the the cubes that came out of the bag until the very, very end, you are going to be engaged in this rule. game. The pegs rule.
1: Yes. I agree.
0: So I smell what you're cooking. However, not everybody's going to see it my way
1: and they are
0: going to yeah. not only dislike but actively
1: just hate that aspect the fiddly nature you know what i'll move the pegs for you yeah um so G- give me all 16 i'll move all 16 so if
0: if fiddly is an issue stay away from this game so there there's the negative the, uh, on that aspect okay next one feel ga- the fi- uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm going to blame that on being sick <laughs> the game feels clunky or awkward or quirky at first but i feel like after repeated plays it just smooths out and just opens it it blooms like a flower okay and the rules get out of the way and like the sun shines down and just wow there is there
1: is some stuff here i'm i'm to the point where i don't really need that indispensable player aid anymore but occasionally i have to look at it just to make sure but um but yeah i agree with what you're saying i guess in that because that is a physical manifestation of the rules are in my way normally up to a certain point and then they'll go away right and then and then the game just has
0: so many cool you know buttons to press and dials to turn pun intended
1: with the, right. with the actual dial um yeah so well, yeah. most of, most of my um I, I don't know dislikes maybe that's too strong of i don't okay. know are really about the random things in the game. Okay. I, I don't, it's weird, I don't um, not like them, but they still don't sit totally well with me, if you know what I mean. Like, for example, drawing random guild, guild cards when I go to the guild hall. There is a role that lets you, when it's in the game, pick two and choose one, draw two cards and pick one. That should just be normal. Also, at the beginning of the game, a draft. Let me start with this one or this one or this one. I'll draft this one and hand you the next before one. you get the cubes out on or or whatever. Whatever. Sure, whatever. Sure, sure. Just a little I mean, and that'd be easy stuff to house rule just to cut down that randomness, right? right? Like, hey, do this. Um The rumors. The rumors, um they're like deer meat. They taste gamey to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I get that. You know what I mean? Yes, it's like I, ah. I, I, I do. You know, cool, like, ah, I drew a green one. All right, I can screw with somebody or help myself. If I have anything going in green, you know, and stuff like that. Um, The roles. The roles are, like, any game with role selection... People are gonna go, oh, this one's overpowered. That one's over. I, I, I generally just ignore all that crap anyway. That's just noise. Um, because, like, hey, then bid for the damn roll. Right? Exactly.
0: That's my point. Everybody has access to this. But, it's not just one player's going to have this no. for the whole
1: game. But some of the goal, some of the roles rather, are also dear meat, gamey. Like, hey, when I go to the dock, I get to draw an extra cube out of the bag, or, um, the the tax collector. Hey, anytime d- dividends are paid, I get a free extra dividend. I mean, just some... you're a
0: tax collector. You're embezzling.
1: Yeah, some of it's a little gamey. All right, so it might gifts, be a bit of a gifts reach. of the yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I, I got you, like but that. now
0: on the flip side, just counterpoint, there is the mini expansion of the uh, of the rolls. Right, there's like five more rolls right. or something. So it adds a considerable number. I don't know if it doubles the amount or whatever. And you can either draft them before the game starts, or you could randomly select them, whatever. Sure. Or you can kind of do a theme, you know? With right. Them right. And That's a, what you, you know. did on our yeah, and I game actually did cool. stuff to yeah. tie it together just to yeah. try something different, and it adds to that variability. And I like having to adjust to okay, this is out, this is out. Oh, but that one's mm-hmm. not. Okay, how do I work around that? How do I make this work to the best of my ability? So. Counterpoint to that, I get what you're saying uh, right. about the whole deer meat, but at the same time, I I wholeheartedly agree with you about the guild orders. That is the one shortcoming about this game that kind of sticks in my craw. Sure. Um, easy enough to solve. Uh, I don't know that it is. I don't know that it's as easy as you're making out. Okay, maybe Because not. of the fact that throughout the game, if you were drawing multiple guild orders, right... You see how the board's seated. You see you can look at them and be like, Well, that's here, that's here, that one's not. Okay, I'll choose the easier or the t- I, I, I get you. You know what yep. I mean? So I feel like that that takes away from the game, but I don't know that there's an easy answer okay. to that. That's the one issue. The the favors, I get that. That's a little gamey. You know, if you want, play without the favors. That'd be fine. You could do that. That that would eliminate that problem. Maybe you shouldn't have to do these things, but the fact yeah, is yeah. There is some gaminess in some of these that I agree with, Mm -hmm. um, but just wanted to make a counterpoint on that. Cool. Um, The last thing that I have is, um, have I mentioned how much I dislike the board
1: layout? (laughs) Yeah. Um, No. Do you not not like it? (laughs) Okay. Let's uh, give our summaries on Masters of Venice. Why don't you start, please? In an episode filled with quirk, uh,
0: this one this one's high on the list of quirkiness and oddball and just queer games. Even so, yeah. as fiddly as it is, and as much as I dislike that that common board in the game, every time I play this game, there. Let me try. Let me go about this a different way. Okay. There are a number of games that I find diminishing returns. Like, I really liked it with the first play. Mm-hmm. I liked it a little bit less every subsequent play. All right. Fair statement. Masters of Venice, though, is the exact opposite of that. Yeah. Every single game I've
1: played of this, I've liked it a little bit more than the last time I played it. I remember you saying... Um, when we the first time we were playing in this group like you were kind of like not really into it you're like i I don't know if i really want to play it i (laughs) we
0: go through uh when we review games a lot of the time it's me picking the game or coming up with an idea or whatever so i was like you know what tony what game do you want to review and you were like i'd like to bust out masters of venice and i was like Alright, you know what? Well, look, man. We can't review crap like Forge War anymore. Stop. But I really was not enthused. Even though after the first time I played it, I recently got a copy in a math trade and all that. But you know what? Thank you, dude. Thank you so much (laughs) for us getting to play this game as much as we have. Because without us reviewing it for the show, I wouldn't have gotten to the point to where this game absolutely blossoms and it's interesting it's one of I would say it, it's probably in my top twenty games. Yeah, I like it that much.
1: Right on, dude.
0: So yeah, if if you're willing to fight through the the obtuseness of the yeah. rules and the fiddliness that I think is a plus not a minus, right. take the time and the twelve dollars that the game costs <laughs> right. Right. and go try it. So, for a rating, we rate on a scale of 1 to 6. 1 is burn it with fire, 6 is Hall of Fame. 1 four, is Helios. 4 we <laughs> 4 we start thinking about buying it, 5 we absolutely do, 6 is Hall of Fame, just go buy it. And, you know, I in good conscience, I can't give this game anything other than a 5. I think it's that good and that unique and that well balanced of a heavy economic game, so I am a big, big fan of Masters of Venice. No, oh,
1: that was a really cool summary, actually. Just bit of a tangent yeah, there, no, but no, whatever. No, but like, I mean, like I felt what you were saying. You know, that was that was cool. All right, so lay it on me. So my summary is that um, the Masters of Venice is not a game of elegance, nor is it without chaos. There's quirkiness, rules overhead hefty dose of fiddliness to go along with all that all those things all of those things are hallmarks of a game that will be an outcast in the mainstream gamers safe warm world those folks have taken the blue pill they wake up in their beds each day believing whatever they want to believe when you and i created heavy cardboard we took the red pill we stayed in wonderland we wanted to know how deep the rabbit hole goes and the choice was irrevocable Game, tar- game characteristics like these don't bother us here. We understand that in order to get intriguing, intriguing and uncertain gameplay that makes us work for survival as well as victory, it can be messy sometimes. Is Masters of Venice a great game? Nah. Is it a messy, fiddly, complex, chaotic game with pros and cons? Yes. It does challenge me with intriguing and uncertain gameplay and makes me work for my survival and my victory. I feel like I earn every point. That the confluence of turn order, shared actions, and the way those things unwind with the timing of the changes and the prices of the commodities, the share prices, make the fun and interesting nature of the game for me. This game is available. It's very inexpensive. I think it's a good gamer's game, and it plays pretty quickly once you have a player or two under your belt. So look, you're either going to like or dislike this game. But if you're into the same stuff we're into, this is one to try and see where your opinion lands. If you can hear this broadcast, you've taken the red pill. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. And with all apologies to the cast and crew of The Matrix, at least my version of the truth.
0: <laughs> awesome, dude.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna give the game a. Um, I gave it a four. Okay. I gave it a four. Um, I almost gave it a five, just based on all the. It's really super awesome, I think, and it's so inexpensive that I mean, like you. You can't not buy it, you know. But but I gave it a four in the end. Okay, rock on, dude. That's uh, that was fun. I
0: hope. Yeah. I hope people enjoyed. Uh, yeah, uh, take the time to at least investigate it. That's the Masters of Venice. All right, so let's wind this down a little okay. and hit on some stray guild questions that didn't really fit the review. Cool. Cool. Ironically, throughout all the ask the elephant when we asked no no not a single as the elephant was for masters of venice mm-hmm. i found that interesting either a people hate the game b they don't know the game or c indifferent so i'm okay. curious for those because this is not going to be our most popular episode i'm curious to to get the feedback from our listeners on what they think and and the reasons for that and what they think now having listened to it okay so, all right moving yeah. on my collection is short on or heavy fillers. What would be good games that play in, say, twenty or thirty minutes that have some interesting decisions to make? Well, I have two off the top of my head, and then mm. you take it from there. Well, Arboretum,
1: right? It's and, on my list,
0: and a ton, or okay. a ton, Aton or okay. Aton, A T O N. It's an abstract that I think there's there's some there's some decisions in there. Yeah, what do you cool. got?
1: Uh, Arboretum and, and uh, Biblios were the two on my list. Okay. And then just you and I were just brainstorming together here because we don't prepare for the show together. Right. We were thinking, what other games, like For Sale, Impulse, The Client. I mean, there's, there's lots, I guess.
0: Yeah, there, but
1: yeah. Th- there's a handful for him to
0: check out. Arboretum would be Biblios, high on the list yes, for
1: sure. Yes, Let's see. You recently sold a lot of fell games in your auction. Tony, as a self-proclaimed Feld fanboy, <laughs> what games of Feld did you keep and why did you get rid of the ones you did? Uh, yeah. well, I, I, I know what ones you kept, but... I am a fanboy still, um, but somewhat diminished in that capacity. Uh, I have been working on a topic for one of our shows one day, called, I call it the rise and fall of Stefan Feld. In my thoughts, I feel that he peaked as a, as a designer of the games I like 2009 to 2013. And uh, so I kept Trajan, Macau, Spiekerstadt. I kept Amerigo, but only because my <laughs> wife said, you cannot sell that or else that sucker would have been the hell out of here. Year of the Dragon, Strausburg, Castles of Burgundy, and Bora Bora. Those are the games I kept that I own or failed. I sold Luna, Bruges, Aquasphere, Notre Dame, and Rialto. And I, I think those are all fine games. They're just... I don't. You know, with the combination of my tastes and too many games to play and stuff. Like, they're just not going to hit the table. So, let's just let somebody else have fun with them. I sold La Isla in, in the Year of the Dragon. Now, La Isla um, was in, La was yeah, in strength. Yeah, that's just far too light. Yeah. And, yeah. We never played it.
0: Right. I still like Feld, but I wouldn't say I love him. Um, <clears throat> I'm almost, to a point, outgrowing a lot of his games. Mm-hmm. They still have a place... Um, My wife and I really enjoy playing Castles of Burgundy, Trajan, Bora Bora, Spiekerstadt, Strasbourg, um, Macau. All enjoyable, but they're enjoyable, and that's Mm -hmm. that. So, yeah. What's your position on games using special player powers and similar pregame arbitrary player differences? You take this one to start.
1: Well, for me, I think that maybe erroneously I lump games in two categories. Category one. Heavy economic games. They tend to be long, mathy, challenging, etc. Category 2, everything else. <laughs> <laughs> I am a very simplistic man. Um, I think maybe, is that the equivalent of a game mullet? You know, business up front, party in the back? I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, in Category 1, player differences are not often a welcome feature of, of those kind of games uh, for me in a way. I believe that the difference in players should be between the ears and the strategy that they pursue in those games. Uh, in category two, bring it, bring it on. You got, you got variable player powers and special. Bring it on. Um, I think that that kind of variability can offer um, wonderful things. Um, it can be too specific or too beneficial, whatever. But um, and that sometimes that eliminates the between the ear stuff in those games. But um, I don't, I don't mind, and especially shorter family games. I, I don't even care if it's balanced, you know. Just, let's just play and have fun. And my attitude is kind of like, alright, that was fun. What are we playing next? 18 Arden, anybody? Right. Uh, yeah, I, I pretty much feel the
0: same way. They have their place, um, but, like you said, it they have their place. Right. Um, and... And they
1: could be awesome.
0: Right. I, Argent has them. Yeah. And we enjoyed that game. So... Yeah, uh, that role selection, the, just it has its place, and, and I'm fine with that, as
1: long as it knows its place. Let's see, next question. Even though we all like heavy games, I guess that some games can be too heavy. Where would you draw the line between good heavy and too heavy? Feel free to give examples. Another guild member suggested Mega Civilization may fit that bill. Shoot.
0: All right. Well, let's start with Mega Civ. Not a heavy game, really. The only thing that makes it heavy is the amount of players and the length of time. Mm-hmm. Same okay. with Civ or Advanced Civ. Sure. That's why they're heavy games. Is because they take 12 to 15 hours. Um, but to answer your question, uh, where do I draw the line between good heavy and too heavy? I'll let you know when I find it. There is not a Euro that I imagine would ever be too heavy for me. There will be heavy Euros... That I just don't like. For sure. one reason or another. But none that I find too heavy. There are some war games however. That just take it too far. For me. ASL. Possibly some of the big OCS games. The Operational Combat System. Um, or series. Um, you know stuff like Case Blue. Mm-hmm. Which I think is awesome. But I mean come on. I Who has two years to play a yeah. game. Uh, so I don't. Like High Frontier, I'm excited to play and try because that might be like... That might be the one. (laughs) That might be as heavy as Euro's or, Uh, you know, excellent. I don't know if I can really call it a Euro, but you get the idea. I'm curious to play it and to experience the simulation and see if if I enjoy that. And if I do, then okay, then I don't know that there is one.
1: It's going to be shocking how similar our answers are because um, I, I don't... I don't think anything I've ever played is too heavy. I, I don't know what that would look like, but I'm anxious to find out perhaps, right? I do think that a game can have too much detail or Chrome and like and war games are the most guilty of that. And usually that's just, for me... Turning a game into a turtle in a sea of peanut butter because you're trying to figure out how much water is in that dude's canteen or ASL that's or, just, or a campaign that's not, for North that's Africa. That's not heavy, that's chrome, and it's just, you know, so I think there could be too much of that in some games, but to me, that's unwelcome. All right, and honestly, this is my favorite question. That's yeah, pretty uh, Youster,
0: the, one of the designers of Three Kingdoms, Three Ducks. Yes, awesome. he said, "My significant other and I, which I love that he calls her that. Yes, we're talking about your podcast over dinner just now. Thanks for thinking of us. We're curious how much time goes into each podcast episode, i.e., researching, recording, editing, etc. Does each of you have a, have a specific task, or does it just depend on who has more time during the build up to that particular episode? All right. Well, first off, it depends on the episode. Mm -hmm. Um, Like this one took me about five hours to prep for and not including playing the games and everything. That's sitting down at my computer. You and I, we have come up with an outline that we, a basic format that we follow every regular episode. Mm -hmm. Um, so whenever we do our normal episode, we do the two trailers and then the featured review and sometimes ask the elephant, sometimes BGG stuff, whatever around that. But that is a, our standard show. And it took me five hours to prep for this one. I would say anywhere between four to six hours is normal for me. Sure. How about for you?
1: Uh, Agreed. Uh, I generally spend about four hours prepping for a show ahead of time, jotting down various notes, um, putting them into our template and crap like that. Some episodes could take longer. um, The the 18xx episode. That took me
0: 10 to 11 hours to prep
1: for. There was a lot of work in that. Um, When we get together, like we are right now, it takes us two to three hours to... Quote unquote, record the show because we talk a little bit about some of the things and some coordination beforehand. Then we start recording. Like right now, we're at two hours and 12 minutes of recording. Now, the episode won't quite be that long because of editing.
0: All oh, the um, or a lot of the ums and ahs <laughs> yeah. and all of our cussing and and right? stuff that happens.
1: Um, and plus we talk about heavy cardboard business and stuff when we're together. So that's all investment of time. And then editing the sound generally takes. That's
0: entirely um, Tony that does that
1: part. It's usually three or four hours. It's generally, every minute we talk is two minutes of editing for me, just because I have to listen to it and back it up and uh, tweak the sound levels and all kinds of, you know, it's just tedious. So if you have any issues with sound quality, right. blame him. Talk to me. So.
0: Other than I'm the loud guy, so he has to work with that.
1: So I guess, I guess what that really means is like a normal episode could be 10 to 15 hours, depending on what... The content is
0: after he's done editing he'll then post it to the in a draft to our website and then on thursdays which are our release days the first and third thursday of every month i will then depending on if i have time at work or before work or after work this takes me upwards of an hour to go in right. and edit that to m- make it Say what I want to put in all the links in the show notes and to do all that. Get it up. Then to post it to there, post it to Twitter, post it to Facebook, post it to BGG, um, and then I have to link all the all the games uh, so that it shows up on the BGG pages. Mm-hmm. And then, to be honest with you. I'm the social media guy. Now, don't get me wrong, Tony has free reign to it too. He's just not on there the majority of the time. It's usually me, and we just agreed that if he's going to take the the editing, I'll do that stuff. Plus, I enjoy it, but don't get me wrong, it takes hours of work to promote the show and just to keep our name out there, so to speak, just because the more it is, the better... The the more p- publishers and designers know about us, the better it's going to be for you guys, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would say anywhere between realistically 12 to 15 hours <laughs> total individually is how long we're putting in. I'd say 10 to 15 hours, depending mm-hmm. on the length of the show. So that's a long answer to it, but that's about as detailed as we know how to do. So, yeah, that's that.
1: Last question. When and where will the Heavy Cardboard group get-together be at Con. Well, glad you asked this, Mike, because honestly I would have forgotten to mention this, so thank
0: you. Um, sadly, uh, I'm, I'm bummed, probably not as much as you are, that you won't be coming this year, but I yeah. do hope next year. Um, so those attending Con, we will be having a Heavy Cardboard gathering. On Thursday night of Con, from 8 p.m. to about midnight, give or take a little bit, in room 1113. It's on the 11th floor. It's a huge room. It has room for tables for about 50 folks. Uh, So hopefully people will come, game, meet other elephants. (laughs) Uh, We'll have giveaways and
1: such, and I hope uh, lots of of folks make it. Before we wrap up the episode, a couple of quick things for you. Number one. I look back at last September. September of
0: 2014. Okay. Of we,
1: our reviews? Yes, we reviewed Craftsman and Panamax.
0: Rock on. Both, those, those are good episodes. All um, right.
1: Craftsman, I, I've played it several more times since then. Um, the I, last time I played it was HeavyCon. Okay, and I've played it once since then. Okay, but Panamax I, I ha- has not hit the table. It has not.
0: And I love it. I am a big fan of both of those games.
1: However, I think just simple logistics get in our way. Yeah. Um Some games can fight through it. Maybe maybe that's what I guess I'm saying. Panamax hasn't fought through it and Craftsman has. The logjam of games that we play? Well, because we have to
0: to a point, churn and burn, to be able to play a game enough times for an episode. Yeah. It's it's hard to get back to some of these sometimes, but I, I do find it interesting that you're what I'm saying, some though. games make it through and we find we find ways and reasons.
1: Um so huh. lastly, are there a couple of games that come to your mind? you mentioned one earlier today. Okay. Um I I alluded earlier in the episode, that's gonna come back.
0: Oh, that's right. That's right. Are that's there a right. couple of
1: games that um you're kinda bummed didn't work out well for you? You first. Let me give you a minute to think about that. Okay. Uh, So, like, just over so the like last, last year few months. Didn't hit expectations? Yeah, just yeah, so that? Okay. in some All degree. Right. So, like, Race to the Rhine, Guns of Gettysburg, Nautica, Spirium, and Versindas folk are, the, are on my list. Like, I'm really kind of, I'm actually disappointed that I didn't um, find as much enjoyment in those games as maybe other folks or whatever. Because I really wanted to. Huh.
0: That's a really that's a really good question.
1: Now, and you mentioned
0: after the flood is definitely the most recent. Right. Um but again, I want to look up stuff and make sure it wasn't a, something that I was missing. God, I hope I'm I was. Sure. Um but actually two that you mentioned, I would piggyback on and that's Versenda Volk and uh Race to the Rhine. I think I think both of those um I guess you could say global mogul, but the, to be honest with you, I didn't know
1: if that had high expectations. Well, I'm certainly hoping it'd be an awesome economic game.
0: I, I thought it would be better than it was, and the production. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say after after the flood is the biggie, but I, I could get on board. Race
1: to the Rhine and send us, Volk. Right on. Let's bring this episode 33 to a close. had a lot of fun doing it, though, so I'm a little sad about that. But um, tell folks how to contact us. I'm I'm glad my voice made it through it, It so that's good. All right, Twitter,
0: at Heavy Cardboard. Facebook, Heavy Cardboard. Email, regular email, contact at HeavyCardboard.com. We would love to get your guys' thoughts on this episode. Hit us up on our website, HeavyCardboard.com. And absolutely, our guild over on BGG, we got 430 or so, give or take people. Pretty active guild. It's mm-hmm. guild number 2044. Come in there. We'll give you free
1: geek badges. And I uh, hope you guys join the conversation. We'd love to have you. And thank you to Game Surplus for supporting Heavy Cardboard. www.gamesurplus.com. Check them out. Great inventory. Hard to find games. Imports. You know, Plus they're special folks. Yeah, really good people. Check them out. Thanks, Velma. As evidence of their special nature, uh, remind everybody about the contest. All right. So...
0: You're going to want to email us, contest at heavycardboard.com. Put the subject line Essen and tell us not just your three top thing games that you're looking forward to from Essen, but tell us a little bit about why. Mm-hmm. And next episode, we'll choose one and we'll give you 40 bucks or a $40 gift certificate from Game Surplus that you guys hopefully can either you know, spend right away or use on one of those games that uh, that you're looking forward to. So big, big thanks to the Game Surplus for making that happen.
1: All right. Well, it's time to get out of here. Uh, I need to text the wife before I leave. She said, text me. I might want you to go to Sonic and bring me some tots. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I guess so. All right. So I may be going to Sonic.
0: Okay. Grab me a chocolate. Chocolate uh, malt? Yeah, chocolate uh, shake, would you? Sounds good. Apparently Asher came by to say bye to everybody, too. You hear that thump, thump, <laughs> yeah. thump, of his tail? It's a good dog. All right, you guys take care. We'll catch you in a couple weeks, and we're going to do an Essen preview post-view, we think. Games I'm
1: looking forward to for the end of 2015 for me. Rock on. Including Essen, right? Hell yeah. yeah. All Great. right, we'll catch you all in a couple weeks. Late.